Welcome. Welcome to City 17. You have chosen or been chosen to it's relocate all I have left. to one of our finest remaining urban centers. All right, I'm moving. Jeez. I thought so much of City 17 that I elected to establish my administration Were you here the only ones on that train? In the citadel so thoughtfully provided by our benefactors. I've been proud Hello, friends. Hello, welcome back. And he's back. Hi, everybody. This it's is me. Uh, the February 8th. Uh, episode of the boy howdy podcast annie's back eighth? in town that's right i'm back from my birthday weekend what did you do for your birthday i had a lovely birthday weekend um i on uh my days off are wednesday and thursday and um i wednesday we had an early meeting at work so my lovely wife took me after the meeting to um a delicious breakfast at my favorite breakfast place in portland a lovely place called zell's with lovely wait staff oh food. that's a fancy place so it's a fancy little loud uh... it's not fancy yes, only is. because it's you got like ten dollar toast you think it is fancy it's yeah. portland ten dollar toast is kind of status quo it's very vera brosgall i don't think there has ever been there dude no that is not a vera brosgall place are you <laughs> kidding she's like a tin shed girl okay so all of y'all who are not portlanders need to understand that portland is a huge breakfast town yeah. breakfast is like a religious faith ron here. swanson would love this story ron swanson would love Portland. Although not really, because he likes actual diner food. That's he right. Likes, he likes good, like, truck stop uh, uh, yeah. eggs and bacon. We have uh, marmalade, strawberry, <laughs> like... nut juice, jams, and shit like Bill that. Bill doesn't know how to describe actual fancy breakfast. But no, so yeah, there are a lot of breakfast places in town. People feel strongly about it. And I love having my days off during the week, because that means I don't have to wait for Sunday breakfast. Any people who yeah. come to visit Portland... Do not try to Man. go have breakfast on a Sunday morning because you will wait one to two hours. Joshin Bahar uh, went out on Sunday to a place called Biscuits, which I've never heard of before. Mm -hmm. And they went off like like on a ten thirty on Sunday morning, just or uh, yeah, Sunday morning, uh, just trying to uh, check out this Biscuits place. And they said they had to wait half an hour just to find a seat to sit down. Yeah, and actually have their breakfast. that is brief for a Sunday, I would say. Yeah, but anyway, like, so when no. we go to twenty four hour, hour hot cake house, we know we have to either sh uh, go there before nine a.m. or after one because it just gets swamped. People yeah. feel strongly about breakfast in this burg. Anyway, went to my favorite breakfast place, Zell's, staffed by adorable people and good food, yeah, which is my favorite combination. Like and um, I don't hate them. We had a lovely time with them. Um, uh, last time I was there, we went there. My wife wrote the waitress a lovely note because they're always awesome, and she's been eating there for five years. And long story short, she kind of um, expelled a belligerent customer from there once for them, and they've loved her ever since. And so she wrote a little note saying how they're her favorite. And apparently the waitress had been rubbing it in all the other waitresses' faces that she had received this note. So oh. when we got there, the the lady who helped us was like, so you need to write me a note that says I'm better than her just so that I can win. <laughs> this is the, on your birthday? It's a good time. So this is before my birthday. Well. Then after that, we went and had, she got me a foot massage at this great place here in Portland. This is what you were doing instead of being on the podcast yes. last week. I was while, so glad I kicked you off the podcast last week so you could do stuff like this. While my dear friends were taking a dump on Star Trek, a loving dump on Star Trek, um, I was having my foot massage. You guys took a dump on Star Trek. We love Star you Trek. You love Star there's Trek. A, no, hey, there's enough Star Trek that... No, I know. Even if you take a dump on... I love that when, when y'all are presented with the opportunity to talk about Star Trek, generally speaking... You guys mostly frame it in what you like to poop on. You guys are triumph the insult what comic dog. About? We didn't talk about Star Trek Five. No, or Star Trek but it's just like it was funny. I couldn't. I, I love you guys. I did not listen to most of it because I do not speak Star Trek. Did you hear the Star Trek rumble uh, of the Enterprise that I put underneath last week's uh, podcast? Yes. Yes, it was fantastic. I am an editing genius. I am the Ben Burt <laughs> of uh, geek podcasts. Anyway, go ahead. Anyway, yes, birthday. no, um, but no. I, I there's a place in town called the Barefoot Sage. All they do are foot massages, and this sounds like silly extra and maybe it is 
But I'm on my feet all day, and it was wonderful. I got a paraffin dip, which I've never done before. Just put your feet in hot wax? Yeah, I'm going to get um, get my um, fill my crock pot with votive handle- candles and get the same effect. It's going to be great. Your no. crock pot with votive candles? <laughs> that was the first thing I said. No, but it was wonderful. It was so great. Oh, my God. And I um, had a friend over. We went and had sandwiches in my favorite sandwich place in town, the Eastside Deli. Oh, you said, oh, you did, okay. And uh, had a friend over and watched movies and stuff, and then the next day Which was your actual birthday. Yeah, my actual birthday, I slept in and um, went on a drive up and down the beautiful Columbia Gorge up here in Portland. Yeah, I did that with you guys last year. Yeah, that's, man, Portland. It was beautiful. Yeah, the uh, Columbia Gorge is fucking gorgeous. Yeah. It's It's uh, like an old school tourist route, too, because it's like this tiny, like, Model T Fords first were, like, this highway is built for Model T Fords, and it's, like, totally winding and terrifying, but they're beautiful um, waterfalls. Some of you may know it because they filmed a number of scenes from Twilight along the Columbia River Gorge. So even if you saw Twilight and you hated it, but you thought, oh, what pretty scenery, that is the Columbia Gorge. Uh, Columbia Gorge is also the inspiration for the Springfield Gorge in The Simpsons. Is it? Uh, That Homer Simpson tried to uh, unsuccessfully skateboard over. (laughs) Doesn't quite look the same. Uh, Not quite. But But, yeah, yeah. you you didn't go up to Edgefield? No. Last last year for my birthday, my wife actually took me out to um, an old poor farm that has been converted into a... what farm? Poor farm. It's a poor farm. It is when you are when you were a farmer and you were old and broke, you would go and retire to a farm where you would work. That's a poor farm. That sounds terrible. It's pretty Can awful. Turn this poor farm. It's into not a hotel? really. No, yeah. That place is great though. They have great yeah. like seven layer cake. In and shit in like this that, hotel, so. there are thirteen a poor bars. Farm. There are yeah. thirteen bars on the grounds of this hotel because it's uh, there's a place up here in in, in, in Portland and in, in Oregon called McMinimins, run by this nice gentleman named Mike McMinimin. And what he does, is he takes these neat old buildings, refurbishes them. Um, he has artists come and do murals and shit, and then they make they do like brewing and they do distilling. And on this, they have a vineyard on this place. They have a distillery and they have a brewery yeah. so and they have thir- across the grounds they have 13 bars it's, it's very great. pretty like the whole yeah the it's great. little complex up there is really nice that was my if last million dollars and i want to go out like and just write for a year by yeah. myself like seclude myself away from the rest of the world unlike at the how i live the rest of my life <laughs> i would go up to edgefield or up to the timberland lodge the timberland lodge is oh, not yeah. minimums though right no oh no dude okay. it's a national sure. it's a well, national that's where they, uh, the exteriors for The Shining were filmed at. It, it, the Timberland Lodge is a ski resort up on Mount, was it Mount Hood? Yeah. But the yeah, Timberland Lodge is one of the most beautiful and depressing places I've ever been in my entire life. Because it's all empty, right? It's, no. Are you kidding? It's slammed Why is it full. depressing? It was built during, I may be getting my history wrong here. Bear with me, y'all. Um, please, an angry nerd, Wikipedia this and send me a mean email. <laughs> it was built during Black um, History Month. No, uh, so, uh, no, they, it was built during the Depression, I believe. Yeah. And they, um, it was a big so artist depressing. project. No, no, no. It's a beautiful building. They basically, like, took all of these artists who had these skills that were dying, like, you know, like, um, iron workers and wood carvers oh. and all of this. Almost every, I mean, every single bit of that is handmade. Like, you look at the That's hinges. That's good. It's a tribute to their skills well, that were no longer needed. It's not but the thing, And they're all these beautiful art pieces in there, but it has never been maintained. Oh! Like, ever. Fuck so, that like, place, like there are these beautiful carvings. They're some of my favorite pieces of art ever. Like, I think they're carved into linoleum or something like that. Or, mm-hmm. like, some... And then they were painted. This is up in the Timberland Lodge. This is up in the Timberland Lodge. This is, like, in, in the in the game room or whatever. Like, they're Ugh. pool tables. And then there are these beautiful carvings that have been painted. But it's all, like, been smoke-destroyed and the paint is all faded. Oh, and it's, like, in a sad. perfect world, a couple of billion dollars go to renovating the, the Timberland Lodge. That's a 
a ritzy fancy place. But people don't go there to look at shit. They're only me goes there to look at shit. People go up there to ski. Yeah, that's true. It is a really active ski lodge. The difference between Annie Maloney and the rest of the world again rears its ugly head. <laughs> I'm gonna go up to this beautiful place in nature and look at the hand forge hinges <laughs> and the beautiful hand carved uh, like uh, wooden bedposts. And ignore the beautiful At snowy mountain. At least you didn't go there on your birthday, though. Why we started talking about this, I have no idea. Well, no. When the birthday. one time I went to the Timberline Lodge, and I was totally gobsmacked by all the this beautiful, uh, like neglected art. I was like, the Timberline Lodge is where you go to write, draw, and fuck. That's all, that would be the reason why I would go to the Timberline Lodge. They should rename it. <laughs> but see, that's why I am Are not on the marketing. <laughs> that's why I'm not on the marketing. It's Portland, community. though, if you're gonna sell any place on write, no, draw, and it's fuck, it's where you it's... go to. But the problem is. Is that sure? That's where I want to go to write, draw, and fuck. But that's where everyone else wants to go to snowboard, bro. Oh uh, yeah. And like, I'm gonna catch some serious air in my snowblades. What do people ski There's on? Just, skis. I just see people them. ski on skis. <laughs> <laughs> that was the name of the eighties impregnation palace. <laughs> God. So, but you had a pretty good birthday, though. It was awesome. It was really birthday? nice. My, More importantly, um, this is good. Let's get the important stuff. My mom is a sweetheart. She called and she's like, what do you want for your birthday? And yeah. I have gotten to the point in my life where I am comfortable enough that if I want anything, I buy it. And I don't really want it for much. Yeah. So I don't want anything. But on the, I'm at that terrible combination of where I don't really want things. And I'm actually trying to actively have less crap in my life. But on the other hand, I do really value presents. And we talked about this at my unfortunate childhood. So you just childishness. Want cash, essentially. No. <laughs> what am Pay I, off Lucy? My credit card. What yeah. am I, Lucy? You know, nickels, um, nickels, nickels. <laughs> but um, uh, no. And so yeah, my poor wife was like, "So what do you want?" But no, my mom looked at my Amazon wish list, which has not been updated since I know, 2008. It's a fucking wreck you're not, not helping gonna, anyone i don't that. want anything get some books, books so are good. You could always i don't books. know what do i need books for i read them read. i put them on the shelf and then i never look at them again and then i have all these books that i never look at again nah. and be, well, the only reason why i bought books as much as i did was when i loaned books all the time like i was the comic book lending library mm. in high school and college and that's why i have such a robust comic book store well see that's what I, so I, I wish in hindsight i had told my mom gift certificate you to the bear you know what you should what you should but no gift certificates are the most uh, like impersonal Personal present know, possible, even when it's something practical. you want. I don't want practical. I kept teasing my wife. I'm like, so when are the elephants gonna show up for the parade? And the the tigers? How are you gonna have the tigers and the elephants hang out? Birthday gifts are supposed out? to be a show of affection rather than any kind of. I did call it National Annie Day. That's what I kept calling it all day. Uh, but anyway, no. So no, my mom got me um the the box set of Tailspin. The whole series? Well, at least the first season or whatever they released. Aww. Which I cannot watch. Why? Because some things you can you cannot go home again, my friend. I know. I don't know. Someone got bought me like the deluxe box edition of like the gummy bears. I would watch the shit out of it. See, but Tailspin was but then not. Again, I thought, like yeah, that's not quite as. Tailspin was no, no. Tailspin was hella formative to me. Don't yeah. get me wrong. But I know the animation is crap, and now I cannot go back and look at that. Man, the animation in all the Disney afternoon stuff was never... Ne- well, it was, it was better than a lot of other stuff. It was hit or miss. But, I don't it was, know. It was just... It was, I know, I, I appreciate... It's been on what team was working on any I appreciate episode. your desire not to want to go back and sell your memories of Tailspin. Yeah. But no, and she also got yeah. me Hober and Jethro. What the hell's Homer and Jethro? Homer and Jethro were a, um, they're actually really good, like, um, uh, 
musicians, like banjo picking, mandolin picking. They sound picking. Homer and Jethro. Well, they were kind of a novelty group where they would do covers. What, like 1936? Well, let me put it this way. They're, I was looking them up on YouTube and I got a lot of clips from them on the Johnny Cash show. I'll just say oh, that. That's the time that we're talking about. But no, they would take popular Jesus music Christ. and then do country like corn pone, jokey country versions of them. So like there's a great version of Baby It's Cold Outside. So next, uh, next year I'm going to get you the Hee Haw uh, series <laughs> Pretty box much. on DVD. Jesus. They're really good musicians though. And yeah. I, I was listening to it and I'm just cracking up and like really having a good time. And my poor wife is just like, why don't you put your headphones on? <laughs> she did not say it, but it was etched oh, in her I face. I saw you bought the, the, the Gautier album. What did you think yeah, of it? It's great. I like that one song. I'm kind of not as into the other songs on that. I album. am obsessed with Smoke and Mirrors. I keep listening to Smoke and Mirrors. It's the track on there. I, I in fact, that. have the sample, the baseline sample of that in my head right now at this moment. Oh, I've okay. had it in my head for the last 48 no, hours. No, but what's the main song? The main, uh, the... Oh, I can't remember song? now. I like it a lot. I can't remember now. It's got the chick in that video is super hot. I've Kimbra. not seen the video. She's hilarious. She's okay, Australian. Okay, so Go- Gautier, not Game... <laughs> his name looks like Game of the Year Award. <laughs> um, E-Ward. He's just like, what? He's like an Australian or something He's a drummer. Like He's a folk singer. He sounds just like... Um, who's the guy? He did sounds music not dissimilar to Phil Collins. No, not Phil Collins. Phil Collins and Sting, kind of in a blender. Mm, no, who's the guy who did all the crazy music videos back in the eighties? The other day, he did Sledgehammer. God, wait, I gotta look this up now. <laughs> Google the hell out of it. No, I really. He's a drummer. Apparently, M- my my lady friend looked him up, and apparently, he's a drummer, and he wanted to make his own album. He's like, but no one wants to hear drumming, so he got into sampling, and that's where the. And the only reason I know you bought this album is because you just mentioned it on Twitter, and. uh... But yeah, no, he's got this song, When My Farts Used to Smell Like Gas. Oh, no, I can't remember, because I've been song. listening to Nothing But Smoke and Mirrors. It's this single. You guys will have, you'll listen to it. Oh, I heard Someone that I used to know. It, yeah, yeah. Some Someone that I used to know. It's really good. It's what I liked the production on it. It, it sounds like 80s music. Peter Gabriel! He Peter, is the modern Peter he Gabriel. He does kind of sound like, he, his voice he totally sounds, sounds 80s. Like, yeah. It sounds like 80s music with good production values, which is all I want from 80s music. I'm honest with so, myself. So, yeah, so this guy, Gautier guy, he did this song called someone i used to know uh, and yeah. just like this really kooky little like little it's a nice plinky kooky. little song it's a good uh, little but song. yeah it, the video is him naked all painted up and then he's singing to his ex-girlfriend and she's hot and she's singing and her name's kimbra who's just guesting on the album she's the best part of that song but then i looked up some of her uh kimbra's music videos and she's great because she sings like paul cocker where she's kind of yeah. all autistic <laughs> where whenever she sings she gets so in it she's like doing all this weird shit with her hands and so she's like i love her she's hilarious she's australian too yeah yeah. She's very cute. She's I met the first rude Australian I've ever met in my life the other day. Oh. I was so disappointed. They have, like, cancer and no legs or something? <laughs> no, no. She was a foul woman. I was so sad. I mean, I know. I have never met, met was anything. Was at the store? Yeah. I've no. never met anyone but totally kind yeah, no, and Australians sweet. Yeah, Australians are the shit. Or lovable. I've known some crazy Australians, but I've only not met mean nice Kiwis and nice Aussies. And now my heart is broken. I had yeah. this vision of a continent full. There's so many Australians, a couple of them will have to break the mold. Nope. Nope. I mean, just statistically, it's inevitable, Only but it's, nice it sucks to, when that happens. Anyway, let's get back to the subject matter here. Let's get some focus here. Okay, guys, my pledge this week has been I want to keep this episode down to an hour and a half. Which means it'll be two hours. We Bill, have to resign to that. I really We've do want to kill be... that 15 minutes. We haven't talked about <laughs> Dear anything. Dear God. No, the thing is, is that Bill and I were talking about this. He's like, no, I like long podcasts. And I looked at him like, because you're a freelance artist. The yeah. only person who says, oh boy, a two-hour podcast is someone who works at home. If you ride home. the bus, too, it's nice. No. I'm just... Man, people should... Uh, 
voted, wrong. write us, tell us whether or not they like long podcasts or short podcasts. There you go. Boy Howdy Podcast, tweet us. Yeah. I swear to God, if more than three people say, yes, I want to hit the two-hour mark, I will eat my I hat. say we either have to do two-hour-plus podcasts God. or, like, maybe half an hour. <laughs> we have to go one way or the other. We can't do this shit once in Either minutes. or. Either yeah. or. All right, friend. Well, we, Bill, we, have to, we have to go to for Schindler's List or short film. My week was, my yeah. birthday was awesome, and I had good food, and I'm very happy, and, um... Uh, oh my! The one the present I got, I'm really excited about. My wife got me flowers, which are awesome. My mom got, or my wife got me a beautiful necklace, which is awesome. She got me Bill Malden's um, Willie and Joe. I almost collection. got that for you for your birthday. It came this yeah. close. Beautiful hardcover collection from Bill Mudrins. Used to draw uh-huh. so good. What's Bill Malden was a, a soldier during World War II and a cartoonist, yeah. and he did all these cartoons for Stars and Stripes, which was, was a paper for the troops. Friends with Charles Schultz. Yeah. Charles Schultz used to make reference to them every once in a while. Yeah. On Veterans Day, he would have like Snoopy Gold and Bill uh, Bill Maudlin's, yeah. or whatever his name was, mm-hmm. to his house or something yeah. like that. Yeah, no, and he's a great cartoonist. But it was his, his art is very interesting because it's uh, cartoons about soldiers in wartime written by a sol- written and drawn by a soldier in wartime. Yeah. So there's an int- there's nice subversiveness to it, and it's a very nice slice of I think. It's also just a beautiful book. I mean, it's a fanographics book, so it's really nicely designed. Um, and I, she got me the two-volume hardcovers um, in a really nice slipcase. It's a beautiful piece. Did you see the last World War One veteran died? Yeah. I what? thought they said that about a couple of years ago. I know. This used to they have moments. I think they, yeah. Um, he listened to Justin Bieber for the first time and just killed him. <laughs> Did it? Like, this, this is it? This Man. is what I fought for everyone's freedom for 100 years World ago? World War It's 100 one. years ago almost. We're going to yeah. get up there. Dear Lord. Yeah. I'm going to spend all of ni- uh, 2014 being mopey and listening to a lot of World War One music. Man, this year's the 100th anniversary of Titanic sinking, which bums me out because I'm a super big Titanic fan. And, th- like, in the next couple months, it's going to be nothing but, like, Titanic documentaries. That's a weird sentence to say, I'm a big Titanic I'm fan. I'm a big fan, man. I was rooting for that shit to go down. I was sitting on an iceberg watching it go down with some popcorn. Um, it's just no, a strange no. thing. The movie Titanic did not do the actual tragedy justice, which was hilarious. <laughs> Hey, you got a bunch of drowning rich white people? It's always hilarious. I, it's The Hindenburg was pretty good, but the Titanic was fucking awesome. See, I can't really make fun of you because I think you like the Titanic for the same reason that I am kind of fixated with World War One. Yeah. It's not so it's much the, the context. It's a weird era. Yeah, and it's like the cultural context of the time and the confluence of um, like the old world values and like these kind of traditions yeah. Yeah, clash with well, technology. The Titanic was kind of a microcosm of the world because you had rich yeah. people, poor people all facing it certain doom and how all they all reacted yeah or as world war two uh, world war one was kind of a yeah, yeah 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 what you're saying i'm just i'm just belaboring with the point you just made yes. <laughs> but yeah because like really like the culture of the time is what fascinates me and it's all and all you know i'm an army brat so of course i'm interested in any yeah, time yeah, people yeah. with uniforms show up but um, so i'm looking forward to uh 2014 when the actual last real final world war one vet gets found and killed man <laughs> Do you think it's like a really like it's a Hugo Stieglitz sort of thing? There's just yeah. this really angry old German. He's like, just like I'm going to be the last. last. Yeah, Stieglitz. Oh, uh, so yeah, no. Uh, so is that that was your week? Yeah. Or what else? Happened? I played a lot. I finally am playing Assassin's Creed. Yeah, how's that going? Man, I love the Assassin's Creed games. I'd forgotten. Okay, here's so what happened. So this game is good? It's good. Well, this is the it's one an that Assassin's takes place Creed in game. Constantinople. 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 Not Istanbul. Constantinople. No, um, it's it's interesting because uh, I forgot. I had gotten the game, and I played, like, the first 15 minutes, and the opening level is really not very compelling. So I just stopped playing it, and I played Skyrim instead. Um, so Are I you put... in Constantinople in the first level? Or no. are you, like, running You're around? You're actually in Masayoff. 
Um, which is the 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 Russia? What the hell's Masayoff? That's the that's the assassin stronghold that the Altier starts at. In the first oh, game. you're playing as Altier in the first no, level. No, you're Ezio. You're Ezio. What? Going to Masayoff. It's actually. Uh... I think yes. But, no, it's kind of neat because they kind of riff on some set pieces and stuff, but it just is not... The thing about Assassin's Creed games is they <laughs> Tell totally... Tell us the thing about the Assassin's Creed games. Fuck <laughs> you. There's totally feature creep in, 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 in Assassin's Creed games. I, I totally was intimidated because... So, in the first Assassin's Creed game, you have these abilities you slowly unlock. The second Assassin's Creed game, they totally hold you back from all those abilities that you're very used to until, like, halfway yeah. through, and everyone bitched about that. So, in, in the third Assassin's Creed game, you have everything from the start, pretty much. Like, you unlock new stuff that is new to So, they to that don't game. Metroid you. They don't, like, take away all your powers you have. Well, I wish game. they would, because I have three games I... worth of... No, 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 no. Yeah. I all of a sudden have three games worth of abilities, and I can't remember how to do any it's of them. It's great if you're playing that game right after finishing two or something like that. Yeah, but yeah I instead I'm like totally overwhelmed and now i have there's bombs, not even a tutorial and they're, no to they're you how to use well sort of they like in in the in the moment they're like oh we want you to do this and this is how you're doing oh, okay. it and they also have a very smart thing where whenever they prompt like because there's the little you can have the little help thing set up where it's like oh hey to do this you can press this button oh, yeah, but you can yeah. also in that moment you can hit select and it'll take you to a separate tutorial for that ability oh, okay. and then you can cycle through all sorts of tutorials if you want oh so, i forgot they had that in the last game yeah, yeah so that was nice but you need it desperately because i am like i am loaded down with so many ways to yeah because at the end of an assassin's creed game you have to, especially the the Ezio ones where they're just giving you all you've got double knife blades guns bombs yeah i have all these bombs can I you still to do. throw money at people yes that's money really at the end of the day i am so overwhelmed by possibilities <laughs> i'm like you know what i have i have hidden blade and i have throw coins people that's really that's I what i feel love, comfortable doing because you're this rich italian guy just hurling money at people that's it's a assassin's creed games are hurling money at people i i'm joking i enjoy all the toys that i have but i just feel overwhelmed by them sometimes especially now that there's this whole bomb meta game where you can make different bombs oh yeah and that's great but i'm like i don't i don't want to stab people i don't want to throw be from afar and throw people are these things. hurtful bombs or are they just smoke bombs well that's the thing are they hurtful bombs there are three classes of bombs <laughs> there's like d there's bombs? bombs there's the bombs you can use as distractions there's bombs you can use that are like tactical like caltrops and stuff yeah. and then there are uh there are lethal bombs and it's just overwhelming man you know what i want i want to just can't it just be a simpler time when i'm a man how far nice... the game are you <laughs> i've played it for quite a bit but i am barely i'm not even out of the I first saw you didn't memory. have that many chivos yet no because at the end of the day what i love most about assassin's creed is the same reason why i love saboteur so much is that i love having this big city with shit i can climb and then stuff I could buy. Basically, I like uh, Assassin's Creed. I do. I love Ezio's story. Don't get me wrong. But I love Assassin's Creed as a, uh, basically as a parkour landlord simulator. Because that's all I've done. I've bought almost everything in the city already. And I've barely oh, started Galaxy the game. Oh, Galaxy Yeah. Oh, okay. I've bought almost everything in the city. I've oh, unlocked. so it's going to be one of those games where you end it, you're going to be like, you're going to have oh, like $5 million. I'm going to be a bajillionaire. What's, yeah. the, what's, what's the currency in Constantinople? Squiggle sign? I don't know. <laughs> No, it's like made up money, I think. In oh, the really? Game. I don't know. I don't know what that symbol means. I'm totally an no Anglo-centric like to jerk. Do cats for this pot pie? I am totally an Anglo-centric jerk. Where's I know Constant nothing Where about the hell is Constantinople. Constantinople. I know nothing about the Eastern. It's like Germany. Russia, or it should be the Eastern Roman Empire. It's all. Like, it's like France, right? I am totally like a huge Rome nerd, but my interest in I like in Ooh, high school I was I studied Latin. No, uh, my point is that uh, I feel. 
Constantinople. <laughs> it's fascin it's a fascinating time and a fascinating place that I know nothing about. It's a crosswords no one cares about. No! Cro I, crossroads? This or this here's crosswords. what I know here's what I know about Constantinople. <laughs> it's awful. I know about it in as much as it relates to the Roman Empire. Yeah. I know about it in as much as they asked for help from the Crusaders, which was a bad idea. Yeah. It's and Turks. It's Baron Munchausen. <laughs> I'm awful. It's sultans. Are there harems? <laughs> Can, I you, have, can you throw harem girls at people to distract them? I can throw Romanis at people what? to distract them. Yeah. They've replaced the courtesans. They're now Romani. Are they hot lady Romanis? Or are they just like yes, actually. Roman people or, or gypsy people? There are dude Romanis like around, but when you are, they are they're, they're only lady Romanis you can hire. Ooh. Yeah. That's some hunchbacks of Notre Dame shit I know, right Bill. there. Oh, yeah. Let's go ahead. Up? Say me gusta. Me gusta. <laughs> Demi more. Throw in Demi more. Throw anyway. More. Yeah. No, it's, it's a lot have of fun. Have a sex with her It's girl. great because now I have unlocked oh. the aspect where I am a parkour landlord and parkour regional manager because I've unlocked <laughs> the aspect where I'm sending people on missions. Just turning into the office but in Constantinople. Pretty much. Yeah. Poor Ezio. <laughs> I, however, what, one thing that has, God, I have, that I've gotten to. No, it's always oh, awesome. I can I, well, I've, I've been heard really... that later on the game gets towards there's like tower defense stuff. Well, it I'm... sounds like it's a good game, but like it sounds like some of the stuff they try to pack into this game from what I've heard. No, from other see, people it's talk about it. smart as hell because they've have you they... gotten to the tower defense? Yeah. Oh, so it's they've, good. They've basically ah, they're trying okay, to well. add all these. Well, I've only done a couple, but they're they're trying to add all. And I can see how it'd be obnoxious if you're trying to focus on stabbing people. Yeah. But they've added all this like different stuff to the game, so you never get bored of just running around and stabbing. I'll people. have to play it to get my own. Because it's like I just did it a mission before I came over here. That was um I uh, Yusuf, who is my um, video game boyfriend now. I love him. Whoa. He's beautiful. I love his broken nose and his scar. He looks like a boy I would draw, therefore I love him. I'm gonna draw him right now. This is a companion anyway, in the game. Uh, well, he's he's the um, assassin that you meet in Constantinople, okay. and you're there, kind of be. He's kind of your protege, sort of dude. And um, um, that's right, because you've rebuilt the entire assassin network with yep. all the shit you did in Rome in the last yep. couple games. Yeah. So you're basically doing that here. So anyway, um, Yusuf is great. He's my boyfriend. And uh, uh, anyway, a mission. There was a mission where I had to get uh, all these musician costumes, and then I have to. All of a sudden, I'm Ezio in these tight pants with the um, mandolin, and I'm or a lute, and I'm going around, and I have to distract these these party goers yeah. so that my assassins can kill these people in the party. So it's a nice, it's a different thing. I mean, it's not that, okay, difficult. That's cool. And you're not it's nice to see something you, different. Well, here's the best part. This is the best part of the whole thing. So I get, th I go through and I'm distracting everybody so that the Sultan guy doesn't get assassinated by Templars. That's basically what's happening. We're fine. I'm fine. I find, I cite the Templars in the party. Then I distract all the party goers so that my assassin guys pants. kill them. That's your pants. In my tight little pants. And then uh, the best part is at the very end, like you see that they're, so like they figured out that people are dying. Mm -hmm. And so they're, and so the Templars realize they have to make their last stand. And the last Templar assassin that's left goes for, to kill the Sultan's son and as Ezio you see it happening so you take your loot you break it over your knee and then you stab the assassin in the chest with the neck of the loot and I actually just put down the controller and threw my hands up and I was like yes does it Chivo pop up saying you know <laughs> you have killed um if killing we were... him softly with my yeah or something song. like that yeah, yeah that's right Anyway, oh. I love Assassin's Creed. I forgot, and I, I'm glad you're getting myself. into it because you bought that like three months ago. And you well, just let it's it nice. There. It's nice that I have something to play that's not. I look for forward to borrowing um, your copy when yeah. you're done. Man, um, uh, Jojo, our friend uh, uh, Joshin, he just uh, sold his copy of Modern Warfare Three. <gasps> really? 
really? He just realized he was spending too much time and that the game actually wasn't that good. <laughs> and he was just wasting too much time playing it. So, yeah, yeah he sold his copy. I've got a copy That's that I uh, was gifted from IGN that he could always play. But That's uh, intense. Just speaking of games. Yeah, our friend Jojo, he's always, well, I mean, he does spend a lot of time playing. Yeah, he's a huge college college. You know, now that, I'm drawing, that now that I'm drawing Yusuf, I am realizing just <laughs> how much he looks like someone I would draw. He has a beard exactly like I draw boys with beards. He's got a big broken nose. <laughs> so you want the next Assassin's Creed game to be him. He's my boyfriend uh, what else with the mullet. Anything interesting other than birthdays and Assassin's Creed? We need to move on, my friend. We haven't I even know, started. I know, you're complaining about how long these podcasts are, and then you spent half an hour talking about Assassin's Creed. I'm, I'm not blaming I'm, you. I'm an, it's almost like I'm a woman. I'm, I'm fine with you talking. I'm just saying that it means this might turn Bill, into a two-hour podcast. Bill, hey, what's going on in your life? Uh, what happened with me? Uh, spent the whole week, uh, well, working, uh, playing Skyrim. Uh, man, I was telling Annie right before she came over that uh, uh, I had not touched Skyrim since, like, November, since a week or two after it came out because I was busy doing other work and playing Zelda and stuff like that. And then I fired up Skyrim again, like, two weeks ago. And I thought I had only played five hours of Skyrim since I picked it up two weeks ago. Just a couple hours at the most. Because I was just fucking around. I became the leader of the Mages Guild in Skyrim. That was the only, that's the only thing I've done in the game as far as, like, an achievement. And, uh, and the, but then a couple days ago, I just uh, finally remembered that the Xbox 360, uh, with the last dashboard update, uh, came with a thing where you could uh, upload saves to the cloud. Yeah. And uh, my Xbox is slowly dying, and in the case, uh, in the off chance that this Xbox dies and I can't use this uh, hard drive anymore, because uh, these hard drives, they're not compatible with new 360s, uh, I'm trying to uh, offload all the old saves I have in, in the, into the cloud in case I need them in the future, spe yeah. especially the Mass Effect saves, because I need those. Uh, so I was looking at my Skyrim saves, I was backing them up, and I have poured four, 35 hours into Skyrim in the last two weeks when I thought I only played, like, <laughs> Like maybe four or five hours. It just cracks me. Like, I'm up oh, to fifty-five hours. I've now. played thirty-five hours of Skyrim. Let's oh, not really? talk like about Sky my hour count. Skyward Sword, Sky Sword was thirty-five hours, and that game would never end. Well, it's I interesting relativity. That... Yeah. Like I feel like because I started another Mass Effect playthrough, and I on top of the one you just started. No, 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 no. no, no, okay, no. This, this is still okay, Bruce, yeah. and I felt like I have played like Mass Effect forever and I'd only played like 30 hours maybe yeah. less than that I don't know it's one of the Mass Effect games are not that long even if you do most of the stuff in the game and I was I was trying to farm it huge. for everything yeah and it was They're funny good, but, but it felt like I had spent 60 hours playing yeah because when you're trying to do everything especially in Mass Effect 1 you're just going to planets that look pretty much exactly the same yeah like, and killing and the like, same like dudes. Legend of Zelda like I was complaining a couple weeks ago that game is super padded out that's like a that's like a 15-20 hour game padded up to be like a 35-40 hour game and that game like that was killing me like every, like five minutes in skyward sword felt like three hours yeah yeah it was, it was skyrim and i wasn't even doing anything i was going on this quest to like uh become leader of the mages guild but aside from that i just kind of been exploring and stuff yeah yeah and that was like that was like 20 25 hours i sank into that game over the course of two weeks i just blew my fucking mind uh so actually i kind of stopped playing that so much i uh but i uh, instead i've been playing a lot of forza this week in particular uh, Forza 4 is amazing. It's a racing game. I'm Man. sure everyone's seen it before. Explain to me the appeal of racing games. Uh, the appeal of Forza 4. You know the reason I, I picked up Forza 4? I, well, I, I've, 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 I bought this copy uh, months ago. It's just been kind of collecting dust. Uh, but uh, I got into watching Top Gear on Netflix again. Top Gear, fantastic uh, uh, magazine show from the UK just about... Uh, 
ra uh, cars and racing and stuff. Uh, hosted by racists. Every time <laughs> I'm on Twitter talking about how funny Top Gear is, people are like, that Jeremy Clarkson is a cocksucking motherfucker. And I'm like, what? And it turns out, yeah, he's kind of, he'll, he'll like, in the middle of uh, Top Gear, he'll just suddenly talk about, this coffee is like a piece of shit made by poor Mexicans. And uh, stuff like that. But the show is amusing. And so uh, there's Top Gear stuff in Forza 4. And uh, so uh, I fired that up and... Yeah, I don't, there's not much to say about Forza 4. It's really I don't good. get... I mean, I have never... Racing games! You collect... You know what? Racing games... I don't games, get it. It's because you're tuning your own cars. You buy new cars. See, I don't it's get great. that. Cars look cool. I don't even have a I driver's am... license in real life. <laughs> but this game... It's fun. You know, the actual act of racing is not that interesting. See, I just, well, there's no aspect of racing games that I this game is so great. The cars look so cool. And especially that they, they have this auto vista mode, which is you go in and you pop open the trunk of the cars and you can look, look at all the different parts of the cars. And you got Jeremy Clarkson from Top Gear talking about, this car is so awesome, blah, blah, blah. It's just, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's, it's funny because I am not the world's biggest uh, uh, racing game fan. But I don't know. There's some kind of uh, testosterone male... I just I don't, don't get it. Maybe that's what I I, I... I, To be fair, I have trouble getting into games where I don't have a narrative interest. Like, even oh, yeah, if it's this just, is complete opposite, because there's no story or anything Even like if it's that. just the vaguest of narrative, I, there's something well, I can latch on to. Because you can hire someone to race for you, so all... Like, you could just what? make it so, like, it's a car collecting simulator where you're just, like, managing a driver and just buying the cars... And, like, the game will auto-tune all the cars for you for different, like, uh, different race events and stuff like that. So it's not... Yeah, I don't know. It's... it's I don't good, get it. The only racing game I ever played was Crash Bandicoot Racing. Man, Mario Kart games, like, those kind of games are fantastic, too. But, see, I mean, kart games, the then it's about... The are different. Kart... Yeah, exactly. But and I mean, those like, are about fun. Kart games, you play with a friend. Yeah. I can kind of get that, because then there's the communal aspect, and then you play it on your own because you want to get better, so you can I, whoop your friends. Yeah, I don't know. I, I can't explain why I did... Like, I, I get I, it. The, the They're Grand pretty. The Grand Turismo 2 and 3 I really loved back in the day, too. It's And funny. people feel so strongly about them. Yeah. I think it is, because, like, I'm so excited when they, like, when they'll announce that a game has, like, 500 cars. I'm like, yes! And it's great. Like, after I've played, like, enough Forza or Grand uh, Turismo, I'll be walking down the street. I'm like, oh, my God, Ford. Oh, I don't like Ford as much as I like old Chevys. But, like, blah, blah, blah. It's funny how games will wire you like that. It's yeah, like, um, it starts warping how you see reality when you're away from the yeah. TV Yeah, like, the worst time I ever the worst time I ever had of that was a friend of I, a friend of mine had a, at the time I didn't have a console, and he had Grand Theft Auto 3. And we go over, and it's a party game, right? And so you'd invent games that you do while playing Grand Theft Auto. Like, yeah. spawn a tank, see how long you can last. you don't play Grand Theft Auto games for the story. You play for them to well, especially around. not at a party, you know? Yeah. It's like, you just turn, you even, invent party even games. Even single player. But, no, we, everyone liked using... Maybe it wasn't three. Whatever one had motorbikes. Maybe it was three. Anyway. Uh, that's uh, Vice City. Pretty much everything but Grand Theft Auto 3. Whichever one had motorcycles. We they, had... They, and starting Vice City, they had motorcycles. Okay. Because basically the game became find a motorcycle and use it as long <laughs> as you could before you died because they were really squirrely. Yeah. And so we'd do that for, like, however long the party was. And then on my drive home, like, someone would fly by me on a motorcycle. And I was like, gotta get him. Gotta beat him off the bike take so I can take it. Down, yeah. And I actually accelerated. And then I was like, Jesus Christ, what is wrong with me? <laughs> That's the story of how um, Grand Theft Auto uh, almost made me commit no. vehicular homicide. No, Ford's is good, though. Like, I bought the car that you I own, Annie, the Honda it. Fit. I, I, I used that to the race Normandy? a whole bunch of stuff last yeah. night. Yeah. I upgraded it. Did you it, engage so... its stealth systems? Uh, no, I upgraded it to Did you engage its cannons power. so you could fight against the... the... I can't remember them. I did put up uh, uh, a blow-up Garistol in the driver's seat. <laughs> That's your plus one. His air so valve was right legs. Oh, 
is Eric Lewica. God. Uh, yeah. Oh, Jesus. I'm sure for, uh, by the time Mass Effect 4 rolls around, they'll have blow-up Garrus dolls for other games. For, anyway. For Forza 5 or whatever. Anyway, so no, I was playing that stuff. Uh, what the hell? Uh, I didn't... Dear God, we're 35 minutes and we haven't even That's talked about sad. our list. We haven't talked about what Maybe happened. Maybe we'll save week. the oh, subject the only... for next week. The only thing I also did uh, this this week was actually just today, right before the podcast started, I bought comics. I went out and bought comics. Uh, today, uh, Kaboom Studio has debuted the Adventure Time comic. Adventure Time is a, is a show that no one else I know watches. It's a Nickelodeon show. It's awesome. It's because no one you know has cable. Like, that keeps anyone I know from watching Game of Thrones and shit. I don't pirate Cable. stuff anymore. I don't pirate stuff either. <laughs> no, I really um, don't. There are two exceptions know. that I do, but that's only because I cannot Steve legally Lever, Not Steve. Steve Wolfhart works on the show. We should be watching Adventure Time. It's hilarious. Well, no, every, everyone I know, like, online loves it. It's not deep. All it is uh, two stupid characters go around fucking shit up. That's all it is. It's not like you're missing out on any kind of plot contrivances or anything like that. But no, Adventure Time is the story about uh, uh, Jake the dog. He's magic. He's stretchy. He got stretchy powers. And uh, uh, Finn the human, who has a little weird little white hat with ears on it, they just go off and have fucked up adventures. And our Steve, friend, Steve Wolfart, he does uh, uh, storyboards for the show. And uh, the comic came out today, which is really funny. It's uh, written by... Who's the guy who does dinosaur comics? Oh, uh, uh, Ryan North. Ryan North. It's hilarious because it's got meta text in the comic. Like at the bottom, there'll be a little commentary, meta yeah. commentary by the characters. And also notes that are almost impossible to see. Uh, but And there's also secret code notes and stuff. But nice. it's it's really funny. It's about how the land of Ooh is attacked by a guy with a bag of holding. Or no, what what's what's the magic bag in uh, in, in role playing games that like bag can of hold everything? Yeah, yeah. And he's he's sucking up the entire kingdom into there. Um, Here's my relationship with Adventure Time. There is a cosplayer who cosplays as like butch, burly adult Finn. Yeah. And he is beautiful really is that the guy you're i would have some adventure week? time with him oh you would be his princess bubblegum in i'm not i can't make oh this my joke. god you actually he's my type of boy so you're gonna take you're gonna take him to your impregnation palace up on mount hood no the boy yeah. that i posted to tumblr did not know he was a gay porn star now i do i'll just say that's that. even better for you because you love gay porn <laughs> let's not talk about this my mother <laughs> She told me that she started to listen to it, but she told me she wouldn't because she want, she didn't want us to censor ourselves. You've been talking about having her on the Star Wars podcast when we have one eventually, though. I don't though. know. We'll see what happens. She, I, uh, if I am ever not on the podcast, have her listen to that episode. <laughs> because I bring nine-tenths of the horribleness to this podcast single-handedly. Anyway, speaking We're of We're going to move on now. Yeah, uh, what else yeah, you got, Adventure Bill? Time. It's hilarious. Uh, the first issue just came out today. Uh, the second issue, which comes out next month, has a cover by our friend Emily Carroll, who is awesome. Uh, it looks like she drew a uh, vampire queen... Um, I forgot vampire... Uh, Marcellus? Marceline. Uh, and uh, there's a strip by our friend Lucy Nisley in the next issue. That looks awesome. But the, even better than the Adventure Time comic, I picked up... A Field Guide to the Aliens of Star Trek The Next Generation Season 1. This is a zine by someone named Joshua Chapman. This is supposedly written on May 15th, 1990. This dude was in the 7th grade, and he wrote this, like, 50-page, uh, 
school essay about the different aliens in Star Trek, and it's fucking hilarious. Uh, I think this may be something someone just created recently and just is posing oh, like as like a 20-year-old, uh, yeah. That handwriting looks pretty authentic. It looks pretty authentic, but it's hilarious. Yeah, Google a field guide to the aliens of Star Trek. It's a funny zine. It's a dollar. It's, re- it's really cute if you can find it. I think you could order online. They have copies at Reading Frenzy here in Portland, Oregon, too. It's, 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 it's pretty goddamn cute. It's great because he talks about how Data wants to have sex with Tasha Yar and how Tasha Yar is so much prettier than Beverly uh, Crusher and Troy and stuff. It's 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 very cute. It's a nice uh, book and to all the Star Trek stuff we were talking about in last week's podcast that Annie missed. That was such a good podcast. I love it so much. You missed out. You missed out on Star Trek. Did you see Erica's getting into Star Trek now? Yes. She's watching Deep Space Nine, which is the best Star Trek show. Yes. You're going to be the odd man out. Oh, my God. I'm comfortable with that. I have oh. often been the odd man out. That's okay. I like so much Deep Space Nine. I is, am used to being Catholics. in the void. The one that villains in Deep Space Nine is a space nun. So let's talk about what happened in the last week that we hear about. This, yeah, this, you know what? Actually, originally, I didn't think that much happened, but I guess some things had happened. Uh, so this is the Geek Week in Review. Uh, Robert Zemeckis and Alan Silvestri are in talks to turn Back to the Future into a Broadway musical. That sounds terrible. <laughs> Well, I mean, every bad, every, excuse me, every Broadway musical has weird source material. It doesn't say anything That's about true. it. true. I was just talking about the Avenue pajama Q. game the other day. When I was a kid, I, um, I, no, not when I was a kid. When I was in high school, I, we did a performance of the pajama game, and which is a, is a good stage musical. I've always heard musical. good things about that. It's got great freaky. music. It's got great music. It's about a, a, a pajama factory, a pajama manufacturing plant that goes on strike because they want a seven and a half cent raise. Is it all sexy? Well, here's the thing. There is there is a um, uh, two unmarried adults who spend the night together. It's yeah, pretty, I was say, this we performed this at like... Catholic high school. We had to write put in a, a, a note in the um, the program that even though this had um, drunkenness and um, premarital sex, that we did not condone those acts. Uh, that is also in Back to the Future. So if your school I, I wait, guess... really? Do they do the pajama game? No, but there is drunkenness and premarital. Oh, okay. Now I was gonna say. No, there's always the pre- there's almost premarital sex between a boy and his mom. That's true. Do you like Back to the Future? Do you even care about this news? I don't not care. Is Back to the Future in your blood like it is mine? I enjoy, I love ba- I enjoy Back to the Future. Uh, what are the lyrics to the Back to the Future theme going to be? Back to the Future, Back to the Future again. No, but no. The the my point with Set Pajama Game, just real quick. It's based on a book called Seven and a Half Cents that I was like, oh, I'm is curious. S e n s e. It is bizarre. It's kind of a. It's a weird little book, and it it has it has overt sex Spare in it. Of the board. And it's uh and like there are characters they make, and it's really weird source material. All I'm just saying, source material don't say nothing about the product, the musical itself. When was the Pajama Game made? It was like the, it seems like it's the like sex sixties sex romp. Well, let me put it this way. The movie version has Doris Day and I think Rock Hudson in it. And it's not ah, very good. okay. Uh, so, you know what? I could kind of see why they might think Back to the Future might be a great idea because it's very music-centric. Yeah, it's got say, it could be... Marty McFly plays the guitar. And it could he, be a great the musical. The climax of the music is him playing a fucking Chuck Berry song. I was going to say, it could be a great musical. Yeah, still. It could nah. be an awful musical. It can't be worse than the Spider-Man musical, apparently, <laughs> as I'm just saying. God, did you see there's NBC has a show called Smash that's... Supposedly terrible. Oh, that's all about. It's got Angelica Houston. I know, but she's. I mean, she was in the Hudson. Adams Family. How good Angelica was that? Hudson? Yeah, Angelica Houston. <laughs> I want to watch the Adams Family movies again. <laughs> <laughs> I, she's great. She's I, great. I, I wanted to watch it just for her, but I can't do it to myself. Um, <laughs> I love the way I wrote this down. A chocobo will be a potential love interest in Mass Effect. What 3. does that mean? Uh, Jessica Chobits? Chobots? What the hell did Jessica you hear about? 
Yeah. She's going to be a love interest in Mass Effect 3. Wait, I've she's never a love heard... interest? You have not heard about this? Yeah, supposedly. I knew she was in it. I think she's a love interest. I think. I thought she was just in it. She plays a reporter. Yeah, named Fart... Fartless Probably Jessica... McGee. Have you heard of Jessica Chobot before? Yeah. I've never heard of her until this week, and people... I'm pretty sure she hosts, um, the on, on Xbox, on their dashboard thing, they have, like, Oh, yeah? Like, I don't IGN pay attention to that shit. Well, I assume... I'd never heard of her before, and this is one of those things where I was like, that sounds stupid, but this is in line with all the bad things we've been hearing about Mass Effect 3 marketing Man, and stuff. Man, okay, I'm gonna poop on you in a second about that, but go ahead. Am I wrong? It's, you guys just crack me up. Buy the... Buy action figures to get DLC for the game. Like, go on Facebook missions to get more DLC. They had for the that game. last time, motherfucker. Did you guess see what? There's going to be an iPad app where you get yeah. tweets. Guess what? I played Mass Effect Galaxy. <laughs> it was awful, too. Guess what? That's the fucking marketing department. They the put... marketing department and BioWare are two separate entities. They didn't put fake Felicia Day in Mass Effect 2. Or whatever the hell this lady is. Did you know. They I, did put fake Felicia Google Day in Dragon Age 2. So I heard about this. Oh, I yeah, know. That was an. Anyway, so so why I'm are you like, mad about this? So I know why am I mad about Video this? Video game marketing is awful. I'll tell you why I'm mad about this. Period. I was like, I, when I first heard about this, like, of course they're gonna put a hot chick in a game. Well, I'm shocked. That's terrible. And then I was like, okay, well, I should Google her just to see how hot she is. I look her up. <laughs> she's like, hot. She looks like a troll doll. She looks like a fucking toddler Tierra baby, kind of turned into a. It's tearing. almost like gaming culture is stupid. She's not even. But even on even on the scale of like like stereotypical hot uggo. ladies, she's not an uggo, but she's not attractive. That's actually kind of why I like her because she's not like oh she's a skinny bitch. God. But other than but that, it's so like she's many, not. I know so many women who play Mass Effect who have a better justification for being in the game. Are they in who are gaming not journalism? Oh my god! Guess what? Even Guess then, why she gets to be on I TV? Because she's in the in gaming the... journalism industry. Is awful. Are not conventionally attractive. <laughs> who would still be better than like? But they're not going to put her in the game. Them in the it game because my mind that I looked her up on Wikipedia. Really, her whole Wikipedia entry is so and so. Jessica Chobits came to f- she. Her whole career started because no, it's really bad. Her licking a, a PSP. She is not. I thought that was something she had done after becoming like a host for G Four or whatever. No. no, that is why she's ever That's what gotten got her on this any scene. job in this industry. Someone. She pretty much sums up a lot of what's bad. But the thing is, is that oh, she's not a my. journalist. She no, is she's just, just... A, she's a personality. Yeah. It's like if you had uh, uh, Diane... Oh, no, Diane Swore is actually a journalist. Any, any... Katie Couric. I mean, well, that's a really bad comparison. Connie Chung. It's like, it's almost like, you know, that's how, like, per, being a public personality But I could see is... if she were actually hot. Man, this is terrible. If she were actually hot, then <laughs> at least I could use it. serious, because he can't look but at the I know hotter finish. women in real life who play Mass Effect who have more real reason to be in that game than Jessica Chobits. But they're not personalities. Fuck that. Oh, God. Anyway. I just... Everybody who poops on the marketing department... I like Your tweet just summed it all up. I've been watching all this kerfuffle of, of people, like, being, oh, I can't believe they're doing marketing for this game that I like. I can't it's believe they're giving me marketing. compelling reasons to buy things I already want to buy that then add value to what I'm going to buy yeah. anyway. You're like, I can't believe there's an Art of Mass Effect book! I'm so excited! And then, like, two seconds later, you're like, ugh. There's bundle DLC. Fuck that crassness. That is stupid. Why is that stupid? You shouldn't, have to, you shouldn't have to only be able to get DLC if you buy a product. It's crap DLC. Who cares? It's a gun. Why are they wasting their time with... They're trying to add... Okay, yes, they're trying to entice you to buy the product, but oh. they're giving you value, which, and so you, then you're going to buy anyway. 
Did you play the King's uh, Kingdoms of Amalore uh, demo? Did we already talk about that? I think we talked about it briefly. Did I say that I enjoyed the beards in it, and that means it gets a thumbs up for me? Everyone's been bitching about that. It's just it seems like a Baldur's Gate meets uh, Fable. It doesn't seem like a bad game. It's really generic in terms. Do you know of the, the story behind the development of it though? All I know. Oh no, we did sad. talk about this because it's made. Uh, the company behind it is technically the company that did the Settlers of Catan game on Xbox Live. But it's also funded by uh, football or baseball, baseball guy. guy. Baseball guy. Well, not a bad game. I would if I were it, bored. I'm gonna I buy it. To play, I would buy that. I'm gonna buy it. Because it looks well, like it's fun. Is, is there any co-op? Because like I said, it feels a little bit like ba- the Baldur's Gate <laughs> games. But the best <laughs> part of those, <laughs> those games <laughs> is that you could play uh, couch co-op, and that was great. If you could do that with uh, Kingdom of um, uh, what's it called? It's not. It's like Kingdoms of Amalur. Can't even remember what the name is, but like. It also looks like World of Warcraft. You I'm going to buy it. You play that and you're going to fall in love with that. I'm well, like, no. hey, Annie. Well, no. Guess like, what's also like Kingdoms of Warcraft. Well, so this World is the story Warcraft. behind the development. Baseball guy loves World of Warcraft, decides he wants to make an MMO, That's hires R.A. Salvatore and um, Todd McFarlane. Is he the guy who like, goosebumps? R.A. Salvatore. Am I confusing their names? I don't know any What's of these the people? name of the fantasy guy who does Drizzt or whatever? What? I always confuse. Oh, you're talking I didn't person. read George R. R. Martin's books for a long time because I confused <laughs> them two in the, my brain because they both have initials and then a surname. <laughs> That's all it takes to confuse me. Same reason why I never read Harry Potter. Apparently. Anyway, no, we talked about anyway, this like a couple moral weeks ago. Story, no, I'm gonna buy it because my bro Travis is an artist on the game and I want to give him money. Oh, really? Fair yeah, Travis Kelly. Who? Travis, who's married to Kelly. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, and I want them to have my money. Say anything bad about I'm, that? Then. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to retract my poops now. I didn't, say, I didn't have anything bad to say I'm going to buy it because I want to put money in their pocket. But no, apparently, and I don't know if this is true or not, but by my understanding, the development of that game was Baseball Boy has money, decides he wants to make World of Warcraft like MMO, goes oh. to this fantasy writer and, and Todd McFarlane and says, make me a universe. So it's a four pay. It's like a, he commissioned this universe, and then rather than make an MMO, he buys he just a studio. It down and got turned into a single Well, player, he yeah. buys a studio that's making an RPG. And just applies his IP to their engine. Oh, okay. So apparently the engine is great. It's not an MMO. It's just going to be World of Warcraft because this is what this game looks like. It does like. look very much so like World It's not bad. I like the but design of World of Warcraft. I mean, yeah, it's like the design is totally appealing and there's colors. When was the last time yeah, you played colorful, an RPG? But it's got the big with, kind of clumpy characters and Which stuff I'm like a that. sucker for, so I'm yeah. never going to say no. And like I said, a beautiful, beautiful facial hair system. So I'm just saying, yeah, if you if I ever want to sucker you into playing World of Warcraft, all I have to do is say it's Kingdom of the Lore, but I will buy it. Star Wars game is for single player. Well, yeah, because it freaks me out. Because I, I would like to check that out. I'm not allowed. I will never stop. If it comes playing to it. Mac, I would never stop playing it. I'm not allowed to play if it. If it comes to Mac, I'm no, never, I'm not. I'm never going to stop hounding you about I'm playing not that to together. Because like uh, the only other person in the world I would want to play that game is with with you. And I'm never going to uh, play it. Anyway, we're we're. Already, I like going outside. Uh, Last of Us screenshots revealed. Uh, it's a survival horror Uncharted that takes place in Pittsburgh. What? Was I wrong in just saying it was just going to be Uncharted with zombies? That's not a bad such... thing. You're basing this off a screenshot. Like, screenshots. I like how you're like, oh, well, we're not going to judge this game based on this pre-rendered trailer that is supposed to represent, but three screenshots, and you're like, oh, it's Uncharted. You're missing the Fuck point it. that it takes place in Pittsburgh. Ultimately, it takes place in Pittsburgh. I'm going to buy can't five be, copies. It can't be worse than the pit, Bill. I'm just I know. saying. I will. I, I was raised in Pittsburgh, so I have a, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love this. I I actually been tweeting at uh, Naughty Dog. Like, I, I do have this part of Pittsburgh. Are you in the Carnegie? I think Library? Pittsburgh is just one of the environments they go to. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Where else are they gonna go? Well, I think they're traveling across Cleveland, Lake Erie. 
don't know. What the hell? If you're stuck in Pittsburgh and you have limited <laughs> means of transportation, you're not getting that far. See, like, Chicago is an eight-hour drive away if the highways are clear and you have a full tank of gas. I'm just saying. <laughs> Uh, it's not like they could hitch a ride to like. I'm just uh, saying they're just gonna find his um his power motorcycle that he lost in the tr- in the crash when his ship came down the slave ship came down <laughs> and then there's gonna be a poorly rendered cutscene and all of a sudden I they're in an environment. I didn't realize I'm making an enslaved joke. Everybody. The chickie's name is Ellie though. Yeah, I didn't realize that, Ellie. which is funny because everyone keeps on making fun of the fact that she's Ellen Page. Well, that, what I, I haven't I've been trying not to read much about The Last of Us because I want to go into it with fresh mind, but apparently saw, she's yeah. one of multiple sidekick oh, okay. characters. So yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, man, that uh, that that reveal almost made me want to get uh, get a subscription to Game Informer because I'm like, oh yeah, I'd read don't about do that. it, don't fall for it. I, I I tweeted about that online and people were like, you fucking idiot, don't do that, <laughs> don't encourage like, them. No. The uh, most important thing that happened this week is that Notch, uh, the creator of Minecraft, um, this happened yesterday. I know, man. Notch, um, based, so Tim Schafer had an interview where he said, "We keep pitching Psychonauts too. I have a concept for it, but we're just a developer. We need a publisher to fund us, and we can't make we it without money. We just need a couple million dollars." We need a couple million dollars. To which Notch says, I have a couple million dollars. <laughs> like how, how, that's exactly what the conversation on Twitter was like. Pretty I much. have money. Let's make yeah. it happen. So apparently they're having conversations. This isn't totally out of left field because there's basically a dude who funded Costume Quest and Psychonauts porting for the Mac. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, there's basically, there's been, so basically, Tim Schafer is existing on a not a bit kindly benefactor from the internet. Well, it's interesting because Notch is not tr- trying to rest all of his laurels or put his, all of his eggs into a basket with Minecraft. He's trying to publish other games through that well, company Well, it's cool that he's basically like, I have this leg up, I'm going to try and extend it. Exactly, people. yeah. And he that put, is a he's put thing. Minecraft in the hands of uh, Minecraft's co-creator, Jeb, Who's he's kind of in control of Minecraft, so uh, yeah, not just trying to step back a little bit and kind of oversee the whole company. And that's very cool. Like yeah. uh, a rock paper shotgun. Actually, I saw tweeted at Notch to say, "Is this real? Is this a story you want us to publish that you yeah. are in talks to publish this game?" And Notch said, "Yeah, go ahead." I mean, uh, it's of course, so... both uh, Tim Schafer and Notch have been like, "We don't know. This is just yeah. eye in the sky. Who knows what's actually yeah. going to happen." But, you know, the but offer was legitimate. Just we'll see what concept. actually happens. Yeah. Oh, man. So that's very cool. And Psychonauts. Psych- we'll talk about Psychonauts during the chatty part of this it'd be interesting. I wonder if Notch would actually get involved. Because it'd be kind of cool if Notch actually had some input in the game. Like, maybe there'll be a Minecraft Because Notch world. has a really um, robust background in platforming. I'm just saying. Well, as if Tim Schafer's made the most. Well, here's the thing. My thing is, is that games. that's exactly it. In a perfect world, they hire someone with a lot of background in platforming. Because yeah. I love Tim Schafer. God bless they him. They would have to hire back Scott Lava yeah, um, to do uh, character design. As people were already joking about how uh, uh, Valve's going to have to lend back Eric Wolpaw yeah. to write the script. Like, it'd almost be like all these people who worked on uh, Psychonauts are now, like, kind of famous in their own right that have to, like, bring everyone back together to kind of, like, get that same juice going. It's, this is what I think is kind of cute about um, Double Fine, though, is that Double Fine, Tim Schafer is obviously the frontman of Double Fine, but he does a good job of presenting them as. Yeah, he as like a, a unit. Yeah, when they started coming out with like stacking and all the other smaller yeah. games, he was very adamant. Like when everyone would, would mention the, uh, like people were coming out and saying stacking was a Tim Schafer game, yeah. he was very adamant saying no, it's not a game. Yeah. by me, it's this other person who yeah. you already forget. <laughs> but you know, but at least. But no, was, it's like it's, yeah. it's. I mean, what other game have, have you heard? Oh, they're making a sequel after all these years. They have to bring back not only the creator but the head writer and the concept artist. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like great that that you know. To be fair, the, those people, the, like, there are such clear contributions from those characters. All I ask, and I apologize if this person hears this somehow, is that they get a new, whoever, whatever the video game equivalent of cinematography is, 
Or oh, ma- what like the? Or that they get a new camera system for their? Because I am so tired of the double it's... fine camera system. Yeah. Like, have you ever? And I'm not talking about like camera control. I mean, like in cutscenes like and stuff. Zoom, yeah. It's always framed the exact same way. Like they're the same zooms, the same kind of structure, the same kind of composition since Psychonauts on. Yeah. And I'm enough of a double fine nerd that I'm, and I'm just like, hey, you know, I, God, I sound like a dick. I sound like you guys talking about Star Trek. <laughs> Here's You're the thing I love. Um, Here's this thing I love. I'm gonna take it. A- uh, so that's uh, that. Uh, um, my- uh, also, what happened this week is the new Spider-Man trailer came out. Yeah! And I'm so excited. You think it looks good? I think. Well, I don't care how Spider-Man it looks. Spider-Man costume looks a little, not chintzier, but like the mask looks a little bit like like you can see his ears under the mask. I don't necessarily. I like the fact I that like it's kind that. of a little bit grungier, more realistic. All I care about is that I really am excited about Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man. Man and fucking Aunt May, and Chicken Lips. I know you're talking about. Oh, it's a Mass Effect crossover. This is, they're trying so hard to put Mass Effect. Martin Sheen is Uncle Ben. Did you see the one shot where he's sitting in his old little, like, uh, his old little uh, rocking chair, but he's in front of a giant glowing planet with a a reflective floor? Because then it's even more relevant to my interests. No, I I enjoyed the Tobey Maguire Spider Man movies. I did. I like this guy better as Spider Man. But yeah, it is always missed. Tobey Maguire was perfectly captured the sad schmuck aspect of peter parker but not the smart funny sarcastic aspect does peter parker's hair fit underneath that mask <laughs> very carefully <laughs> like, yeah you to be fair, really there's a proud history of that in ultimate spider-man um he had like peter parker had like this these luscious locks yeah like these very like he looked like he had an asymmetrical bob for all intents and purposes and he hit all that under like his luscious bangs behind his mask without trouble did you see what everyone's suspecting what the main plot of the lizard, what his evil scheme is supposed care. to be? You know what I care about? I care about Andrew Garfield, Emma Stone, Kiss. I love Emma Stone. I love Andrew Garfield. I already have a crush on Gwen Stacy and Peter Parker as a couple. I'm very excited. Yeah, look at, that could actually be cool. Because that's, what I, that's the what I like Days about Spider-Man. And regardless of what you think of 500 Days of Summer, the it was a well-shot well. film. Yeah, it was well put together. And it does have my favorite... 500 Days of Summer is a terrible film, but it does have my favorite visual gag of all time. Which is when um, Joseph Gordon-Lovett is feeling super fly and super good. Oh, that good. whole song and dance number. Well, that's all great, but specifically, it's one visual gag, and this perfectly encapsulates any young man who feels like he is at his, his highest moment. He's strutting down the street. He I stops to birds. look at himself in the reflection of a uh, car. Oh yeah. And looking back at him is not his own reflection, but in fact Han Solo. Yeah. And I'm like, that is it, my friend. That is <laughs> I correct. I about that. Yeah. And that that made me like that movie. No, that's, despite that's, this will not be. The Mark Webb is a, he's a made. smart visual dude, and uh, I'm I'm so happy to see a, a Spider-Man who cracks jokes. The lizard kind of looks kind of bland. Who cares about I Spider-Man know, villains? No one. Have they said anything about any actors who might show up in this movie who might turn out to be? Because it's all like it seems like most of the movie takes place at Oscorp. They've got to show or at least talk about. Well, who's they're doing. Be... They're being very very careful about not making it very clear to remove it from the other Spider-Man movies. Well, I know. Like one thing is they keep pushing it as the untold story, I... which is a weird way to approach. Well, it. Well, they want to make it sound like they have something to say that the other. It's something did. different because yeah, we just saw all this shit like. Eight well, years and ago. even beyond that, exactly. They want to make. They want to well, draw the line in the sand for any sh- Joe Schmo who's seen this trailer for the first time. Like, oh, I'm making another Spider-Man film. Well, the, they're obviously pushing the whole thing. Obviously. Uh, uh, Peter Parker's parents have some kind of, I don't know, yeah. mystery or something like that, but like the, his parents' past actually has more of a story yeah. in this movie. I don't know. We'll see what happens. I'm choose to be excited. Yeah. But yeah, no, they're, they're, they have Oscorp there, but I think they're very being very deliberate not to invoke the Green Goblin because that was such a huge I know, it's a good of... idea. If this movie's a big thing, I'm sure the next yeah. movie will be about Green Goblin, but yeah. yeah. Uh, there's going to be a battleship first person shooter. 
this just came out today. Of course, everyone's, you know, going nuts about how it's a video game based on a movie based on a board game. And it's a first-person shooter, too. It's a first-person shooter. It's a strategy game. People point out there's, there's a Battleship Xbox Live arcade game already out there. Yep. Because, like, you know, the Battleship guy's like, this is our chance to extend the Battleship brand into video games. And, like, they're already out there. <laughs> and I, I s- cannot believe I've seen two different Battleship trailers and not once do they say they sink my Battleship. That was, and that... That is literally the only thing I associate with Battleship. How do you know? Because that's the only thing. That's the only exactly that's the only thing that would translate to a movie trailer yes. would be that line. Of course, well, not well, if it's... I, unless no one actually does sink Liam Neeson's Battleship, and then you know what are you gonna do? And then you, I there's can't no believe Liam Neeson. Is, Liam Neeson. Oh man, I just yeah, I, I want the clue first uh, person stabbing game. <laughs> they actually base it off the 1985 movie. Uh... Oh man. And the, the thing that I got most excited about this week, even more so, arguably, than the chance of Psychonauts 2, was the um, the lead dude of Journey implied uh, on Twitter that it's done. That's Journey's interesting. Done. There was two video, big video game, the two biggest video game pieces of news that came out this week are just people offhandedly on Twitter just doing stuff, you know, the Notch yeah. and uh, Minecraft, uh, uh, Psychonauts thing. And then, yeah, the guy uh, in charge of uh, Journey, Genova Chen, his name mm-hmm. is, just, yeah, just came out and said, yeah, uh, Journey's okay. done. It's up to Sony now. Journey, anybody who has... I will turn on my PlayStation 3 for Journey, and that's pretty much... You'll have to update it. St- oh, God. Make sure you... So I'm going to give myself sure at least two night, hours. Yeah, turn on the night before you actually want to play um, to update oh, all those. Man. Oh, God. Anyway, Journey is beautiful. I'm really excited about Journey. It'll be worth whatever hours of updates. You know what about Journey, though? Uh, it's It's got crazy environments. We Why, should do a podcast Bill? about that someday. Perhaps we should discuss it. Perhaps we can discuss it in 30 minutes or less. I you know what? Yes. Now that the uh, podcast is actually an hour long, we will talk about environments and games. So, guys, this is what we're actually going to talk about this week. Um, we're going to talk Spoilers. about environments and games. Okay, we'll be back in a minute. <laughs> we suck so bad. We're going to talk this week about environment and video games. Woo! It is needless to say an important subject matter. Um, Without it, it would be a very boring video game. Very boring video Just game. fly through space. No, one of the best things about video games, and this this is true of racing games, and this is true of RPGs, is just being immersed in a world. I mean, you yeah, know, just that's being kind of half the reason place. why people play games. Exactly, not really to kill things, but just to, uh, to see be... shit you otherwise wouldn't see in real life. Yeah. yeah, I mean, even the most mundane games can have a very rich sense of environment and sense of place. So we're going to talk about that. That I'm, pong gonna... shit was awesome. That black field. Like I was playing, I just purchased Quarrel. On Xbox what Live. What is that? Is that a word game? It is a. It's basically Scrabble and Risk combined. Oh, okay. It's pretty clever. I heard the dictionary for the game was really wacky. It's bizarre. Sometimes I'll submit words and I, I'm like that is a word, that is a word, my friend. Yeah. And then other times people will win and I'm like that is not a fucking word. So it's just like Scrabble. That's uh, <laughs> all it boils down to. But it has a nice environment. Oh, well, no, 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 no. But I mean, it's like I was thinking about that the other day. It's like someone had to sit down and think a lot about the environmental design for uh, Quarrel. Uno. Uno's got some pretty great environment design. Well, the thing is, is that Quarrel, fireworks since, and shit? since Quarrel is Risk. This is what we're starting with. Shit. Son. The whole world and breadth We're not actually games. very good at this. Fuck you, Bill. <laughs> you know, Bill. Annie, why don't you start? I'm going to let you talk I've about something. I'm going to I'm going to yell at you. It's just the fact that I'm, that I'm also bringing up Uno. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not helping. Anyway, yeah, go ahead. But no, so, um, 
Anyway, yeah, no, uh, <laughs> especially in this in this age of next-gen consoles and all that shit, you know, it's like, it, all of a sudden, the environment has become more and more important. Yeah, My poor wife yeah. is incapable of playing old video games, because... Like, how old? Like, before I'm, I'm talking, yeah, I'm talking, oh, like, Xbox fucking games. Christ. Well, no, it's true. It's like, I, know, I, I can understand, but damn. It's like, I can't go back and play PlayStation 1 games anymore, because it's the, now my tastes are too fine. PlayStation tempered. 1 games look like shit, because they're all blocky, and 64 games, though, are the shit. I'll talk about some Beetle Adventure racing later. <laughs> anyway. Hot damn. But my point is, is that we've gotten, to a point, we've gotten to a point in our direction in games where it's like, you know, it really is a make or break thing. I yeah. downloaded the demo for First Templar, which is a terrible, terrible, like, third-party game for the Xbox. We were talking about PC. that, yeah. Like, oh, man. A while ago. It's awful. Well, I got Curse Crusade. <laughs> Which is another terrible third-party game, but that has some modicum, like just moderate amount of modicum of, of production values. Uh-huh. First Templar does not. It's actually a featured game with the Xbox dashboard. I could not believe <laughs> oh, no. it. I was like, "Are you kidding me?" How much does it's it cost? Amazingly bad. I think it's like forty dollars downloadable title. What? It is awful. It had a, a disc release. Oh, so it's a games on demand. Release. It's a games it's on not demand. Even an release. Xbox Live game. It is Ugh. awful. If you want to have a flashback to what an uh, Xbox One game looked balls. and played like, go ahead and download yourself. The first just buy a memory. copy of Gun. <laughs> Man, Gun! I want to add that had a good sound. No, when, when you first suggested that, that the game environment thing, I wasn't soundtrack. quite sure if you wanted to talk about aesthetics versus interesting game spaces. Well, that 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 sometimes they, can they overlap. Or in dovetail. a perfect world, they dovetail. Sometimes they don't. In a perfect world, they dump. Like I think Gun. I, not necessarily amazingly designed game had great no. music well, had see, nice but graphics for the day. Game design and environmental design are different beasts, my friend. Yes, <laughs> Dracula says yes. <laughs> no, no, I got you. But you know, because like you can have a game with really good level design and really good like and really poor game design. How so? I mean, like you can have. Are you about like really game design versus level design? I think they're they're not. I Are mean, you talking about the things put within that level? Well, I mean, because game, they're, I mean, they're, they're obviously level design is an aspect of game design, but yeah. like, like, like the um, your function, like encounter design. Well, yeah, and like just like even like you, like your actual like com- uh, user controls, like what you do, like the uh, oh, mechanics yeah, of the game yeah. design. Oh yeah, yeah, okay. Well, I see what you're talking about. No, nah, I mean like you can have. Yeah, excuse you me. Have... I should I should clarify my language. I apologize for my ignorance here. You're, you can have poor game mechanics and, and, and good game level design, and yeah. the game mechanics will make it, you know, it's bad game design. And you've got but... aesthetics, and so it's three different parts of yeah. what you kind of need all three of them working together in Ideally... order to have the best possible kind of gaming environment. Exactly. Although sometimes you can still have uh, environments that'll suck you in, even if the game itself isn't that good. But oh, like, yeah, like you can have games really with amazing nice. set pieces. But the set piece can be amazing and have no effect on gameplay yeah, whatsoever. Yeah. Like, like I, always, I had talked about this before. Whatever, I'm like, yeah, I should. Uh, yeah, go ahead. My favorite. Bring up my list. One of my favorite set pieces of all time is the climax of Saboteur, and that has no effect on gameplay whatsoever because you are just literally navigating that that environment. Well, you're talking about like uh, Ellie Noir has oh. the environments are fantastic. The like attention to detail, the late na- 1947 LA is fantastic, but has no impact on the gameplay it is other a than waste. an arbitrary fetch quest which is just duct taped onto the rest of the game. It is an absolute waste. My I love exploring that world, but breaks. it does nothing. It's just you have filler no, in between is, the actual parts of the game game game. There is yeah. no compelling reason to explore that world. And you can absolutely see like that rocks what Rockstar forced them to put in. Yeah, there's the Rockstar part of the game and then there's the rest of the game. But can you imagine that game as Team Bondi would have released it? 
Because you would have had this giant sprawling world. No, it would have. And you'd have no, like, a loc- no, there landmarks. No, there wouldn't have been a sprawling world. It would have been an adventure well, they had game already... where you just magically teleport from one location to But they were the working other. on, they had that world built. Did they? Yes. I thought Rockstar, uh. Rockstar insisted they insert all of the, like, the, the, the side quest stuff. All those, you know how that, that awkward, like, like on the radio, mission? it says go over here. That street mission thing yeah. that feels kind of awkward and tacked on, it's because it is really? because Rockstar the made Rockstar, them do it. Their whole specialty is the Grand Theft Auto open world shit. You think that, they, like... They spent a lot of time and money developing... Their, the whole thing with... Team ah, with, that's a little fishy. I think you're wrong. <laughs> I will not say I'm the boss of Team Bondi, but as I recall, they I pitched that it was a living, breathing lot. Oh, I have no idea. I thought they just did really... And that they had the made people. an adventure game, and then... Oh, Okay. No, because you regardless can't, you wherever can't do where that. it came from, it didn't work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just a waste to have that fully rendered environment and Man. no compelling reason to explore it. Like the opposite of that. Like, it's, I hate to say the opposite, but the up the other side of that coin is, of course, Red Dead Redemption. I think Red Dead Redemption was one of the most perfectly, like the perfect distillation of the Grand Theft Auto model. Yeah. Whereas Eleanor is arguably one of the worst. And of this generation, Eleanor was or uh, Red Dead Redemption was interesting too because it took out a lot of it took out a ton of stuff yeah. from Grand Theft Auto. Obviously, yeah. because you're on an empty plane as opposed to a yeah. busy street with all kinds of traffic and all kinds of side missions and stuff. Yeah. But the game world was still uh, the the aesthetics were beautiful, yeah. great skybox and stuff like that. Yeah. There was still enough stuff to do in these relatively empty planes, like it was hunting still and flower hunting. And, like, helping people and stuff. Yeah, yeah. there's still uh, things to do, but you could still take your time and kind of, like, just explore. Absolutely. And that, yeah, Red Dead Redemption environment design was a great balance of everything. Gameplay yeah. and content and design and it and, felt and like It felt like, dif- it felt like very different sorts of terrain, even though they shared common elements. Yeah, like, you that, felt yeah. like when you were in Mexico. Like, up in the mountains was, like, kind of a very yeah. different thing, but still very cool as opposed to, like, down by the river. Absolutely. Go- going down to Mexico felt like a different thing. It yeah. felt very connected. Like, obviously, Skyrim. Was great another vistas. Great... Like sometimes you get on top oh, of the man. mountain, the sun just hits all the mountaintops yeah. just the right way. Dear yeah. Lord, I would spend more time in Red Dead just kind hey, of. Red Dead, I want to go back still. and play. I want my copy out. I need to get it back from Leland, but I want to play it again. Well, I never got to play any of the DLC. I'd like to check that because I bought the DLC expecting to get that game back, and I never did. Yeah, yeah, but like Skyrim is obviously another example of that, where it's like is is, is much of the Skyrim is right down on steroids, where you're picking flowers and yeah, and yeah, it's just that sense things. of you like a, a contiguous world that felt very contiguous. Contiguousness, yes, contiguous, fantastic. Fuck Fable, I love the aesthetics of that Fable's yeah. perfect game where uh, where Skyrim is great and uh, something like Fable falls down where. Uh, yeah, Skyrim is a cohesive world where you can stand in a part of Skyrim yeah. and you know exactly where is what in relation to where you're standing. Roughly, like, okay, yeah. White Run, like, I'm standing in this part of the world. I know uh, White Run is relatively, like, over to the east over here, yeah. up to the north, and, and, and all that kind of stuff. With Fable, everything's just, like, the whole world is served to you piecemeal and everything's disconnected yeah. and you can't... Like, unless you're looking at a map, you have no idea how anything's connected. Yeah, that's... I don't necessarily... Like, I, I agree. I, I As a whole, I think it's much better when you're building a world to have a coherent sense of world. Yeah. And having that contiguous sort of game space and definitely adds to that. But, like... It's a bigger shame... Well, no, go ahead. Well, I, I think in Fable, where the, the biggest failing I felt in Fable was... I agree, it feels very disconnected. I think the biggest failing in that game was that it's a continuation in the same world and you don't feel that necessarily in the environmental I think you could feel it more design. though if if that world were a contiguous world yeah. and you saw it evolve over the course of three games yeah. that's where they could have really made that uh, the, the, it's the, not the just... evolution of that world have an impact yeah. 
But because even in starting the first game, you never really got that sense of place or space. You I never, did in the second There was no, nothing fable? to latch on to with the second. Really? I never even got that with the second game. I did in the because, second like, fable to some town, degree. Like, everything's just divided by this road. You're just kind of warping between places. I don't know. Yeah. No, I mean, you're not wrong. I, I But I, I where, what disappoints me most, my, some of my favorite parts of Fable 2 were realizing that this place from Fable no, that 2 was, was a place. But they just, they kind of shit the bed, the but lights like, on you know, when with When you that. go back to, what's the what's the uh, town you start off in in the first Fable game? Is it Blackstone? Bower, not Bowerstone, because that's the main kind of like community The town. names change, too, over the course yeah, of the yeah, game, that's the which thing. makes sense. But in like but... Fable 2, you, yeah, you visit the town your hero grew up in in the yeah. first uh, game. But that's fantastic. Any, ga- any game or, or series where you revisit uh, parts from old games and yeah. see how they've changed, that is fantastic. But Fable... But it's not... It's but too vague. It's you too vaguely done. But, like, I don't even know... If you were to stick a gun to my head and, and and force me to draw a map of the Fable world and, 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 and show me on that map where that cool little town part is in relation to anything else in the world, yeah. I couldn't tell you. It's at that the one little bubble of space is great in that, in that game and in that series... But it still kind of falls apart but what's the in the greater scheme that, of things. That game would you not... make it like Skyrim. I no, hate to see, say it. Contiguousness. No. Fable, Fable would not be improved uh, to be an open world game. Yes. That would not no. make it yes. a better game. Yes. You could make it a good open world game. You could it make it a good world. It wouldn't be Grand Theft Auto. It wouldn't be Just Fable, a contiguous then. world. It's well, fuck like... it. Fable sucks. <laughs> Fable is not good Fable anymore. Fable has not gotten good. I will admit that. It's gotten worse. I love... No, the, I enjoy Fable 1. The lack of an open world is not the reason why it sucks, I love Fable but... 2. Fable 3 was so bad. I, and I, even then, like... It kind was... of retroactively tainted my love. This is of... kind of a related environment in Fable 2, but, like, I remember with... Uh, when Fable uh, 1 was first pitched, and Peter Molyneux was all like, plant a seed, grow a yeah. tree. It's so weird because, like, the one thing that is always lacking in games is the sense of time. Or usually lacking. Yeah. And if one game series could really use, like, progression of time within a game... Yeah, it'd be fair. And that was kind of suggested with what would happen in the first game. See, that's... Exactly. What was Fable. That makes it more Especially as you're growing as a character and stuff. That does make it more I mean, there's a progression of time in each Fable game where you start start off as a kid, something happens, you leap ten years into the future, and now you're grown. But that's it. There's no sense of time of you, like... Like even in like, even in the fable games, you'll find some hobo living in an alley somewhere. You'll come back ten years later. That same hobo will still be living in that alley. Yeah. To I, say nothing of what happens after you're grown and for the rest of the game, like how everything's still static. But yeah, nah. it's, there's a fine line there between make having that sort of actual progression of time and not removing the fun of the game. Yeah. Because like, well, that's a, the thing. Yeah, because more realistic ex- does not you necessarily can break mean the better. Game. In a perfect world, or like in, if you want to go to Fable 3, there is a point at the end of the game where you actually are making jumps in time, and it doesn't feel like it. No. At all. It's just, and that's just, kind it's, of just a waste. it's a cutscene Like, you don't, you don't want to, you don't want to spend too much time on just, like, gent, like, necessarily, you don't want to throw your team into working on, like, just changing the, but that can make a huge well, difference. Well, the entire world doesn't have to change. All you have no. to do is, like, like, there just needs to be a couple things in the world if you want to mark progression of time, is that a couple things in the world do change. Not everything yeah. has to, like, seasons don't necessarily have to change, but just, like, your relationships with certain certain people should change yeah. over time. It doesn't, doesn't necessarily have to be changing every moment of the game, but, like, Dragon Age some 2... kind of evolution of the world would be nice. Yeah, Dragon Age 2 kind of has this to some, the same issue to some degree, because yeah. it is set over a couple of years, and it's... Well handled in some ways and not in others. Like, like when you leave the first town, a dog shitting in the corner will still be shitting when you come back like four years later or whatever. Yeah, like they do change the environment over the passage of time, 
but not enough. Yeah. Like you, at some point, there is basically a a, a, a serious like war that like there is a there is violence in the streets, and time a year passes and like the the area where the faction lived that that assaulted the rest of the city is boarded up. But that's pretty much it. Like, Did there's some change. I know technically yeah. people aren't part of the environment for for video they games. Are. They are. They're part they of the are. wallpaper of that it's world. Exactly. Do I mean, the that's people what we're talking it about? I, yeah, they do. A little bit. Okay. Even it's, if a little bit would be nice, because yeah. like yeah. But there's like but on the other hand, there's a fine line between that. So like in Dragon Age Two, this is like a more recent example. But that like so that time has passed and environments passed. So I missed encounters. Because it only happened during year one. Yeah. And I wasn't in the right place at the right time in year one, so I just fucking missed it. Like, there's a game for the PC called The Last Express that I had a panic attack playing. Is that the train thing? Yeah. Yeah. Because oh, I that hate... Game is cute. I hate video games where there is a passage of time. This is one of the reasons why I never played Oblivion. Yeah. If there is a video game where if I am not at a certain place at a certain time, I'm going to miss things, I'm going to have a fucking panic attack about it, and it's not fun anymore. So that's why you need to play Majora's Mask, because that whole game is built on no. the things you miss while you're somewhere else, but then you rewind rewind time and see okay. everything from the different perspectives. So by the end of the game, you've seen everything there is to do in the world, and you've seen all the moving pieces from all these different point of views. That's but a that's clever because mechanic. You're, re- you're replaying that same three-day period. If I have to make appointments again. in a video game, Fuck! I can't keep my appointments in real life. Yeah, see, that's the nice thing about like sense of time. That's I don't know why I suddenly got off on the sense of time first things because a, a sense of time in a video of... game is such an abstract thing. It's not yeah. really environment, but like time. Well, can it's it's part of your perception of the environment. Um, but that's why I like Majora's Mask so much because it's one of the few video games to really mess with the idea of the passage of time. But it's only over the course of three days, so it's not like you have to worry about like yeah society evolving or people growing up or right. dying or anything like that. But just within the course of a weekend, how like how people different interact and things like that. Yeah. That's interesting to see. Yeah. That's why I like Majora's Mask so much. Yeah. But that's yeah, that's not really environment in the way that we came up with the idea for this episode of the podcast. Well, but no. that's an aspect Let's of it. Let's be honest, we're, we're wish, just riffing. <laughs> yeah, but that's something I wish was a bigger thing in video games was the passage of time. Yeah, well, because that, that gives something a real sense of place is consequence, yeah. and you know, like Skyrim. Skyrim is. I was talking to Bill about this before we started recording. I broke Skyrim for myself by breaking its sense of place. Because what I liked about Skyrim was that it felt like it was such a neat encapsulation of a place in time. Like, here is this world that is being um, ravaged by civil war. Yeah. And, um, like, you get a neat sense of the factions and then the sub-war that's happening and the meta-war that's happening. And I really liked that. Well, you get to the point where you can finish the war narrative and the civil war has ended. But you're wandering through the environment, and everyone is still talking about the Civil War. See, yeah, that, okay, hmm. And, like, what do you want to do? It is a fucking huge game. Are and they going to reprogram do? everybody so that all their dialogue they've been saying well, the that's the thing, game, technologically, like, yeah, you're bumping up against the technolo- te- uh, technological limits of making a game. Especially a game yeah. that big with that many moving parts. And you you're can't assuming go back. that your player is going to get to that point. Yeah. Like, I mean, honestly. See, that's why, that's why I'm saving all that Civil War shit for the end of the game, and that'll be should. the last thing I do. I wish I'm doing I did everything not. else. Because I, yeah. Like, it's interesting because, so Skyrim has two two narratives. There's a Civil War narrative and there's a Dragon narrative. And they manage to... The Dragon narrative being the narrative of your character, right? In a way. Yeah. I mean, they, yes. It's your personal narrative. Correct. It's more personal than the Civil War one. Yeah. The Civil War one, guess what? You finished the Civil War. That's it. That's the end of the Civil War narrative. And anyway, the Dragon narrative ends in such a way that it makes sense that are still there are still dragons in Skyrim. Oh, okay. So it does not break the Dragon narrative. How do you do that with a Civil War, though? Yeah, you'd have to well, rewrite. You uh... no. Here, honestly, this is what you do because this is the truth. Is the whole thing with the Civil War is that there's a figurehead that you defeat. Either way, 
And just because you defeat a figurehead does not mean the resistance is over. Yeah. And they, they could do that. And they kind of imply that that's what's happening. For but DLC, you could do that where you could say there's this uprising over, over here. Maybe that's it. Maybe they're change. saving it. But not every single uh, encounter with everyone in the world should remain the same, though. There should at least, especially if you're responsible for the end of the Civil War, some people in that world should say, hey, that's Skyrim, thanks though. for saving the world. It's, va- it's, it's vast, not That's deep. why they kill you at the end of uh, Fallout 3, <laughs> is to make sure you can't do that, and then they come up with an excuse as to well, why you're brought back. But. The, in Fallout, Fallout games, in particular, have a proud tradition of the game ends in a very final way. That's one of the yeah. things I really liked about Fallout, um, the Fallout games, is that when it ends, you find out what happens to your character. And it's not like in Dragon Age, where it's like, oh, you did these things, so this happened. It's like, no, you move up here and you have a family and you die. Oh, okay. And it was, I liked that that was like, you know, just kind of putting a pin That's in nice your story. Ending. Yeah. And, and I liked that hmm. it's an interesting thing to do. But yeah, you have, can't have DLC. You can't have any sort of add-ons that have that character. Whereas Bethesda narrative. games, you're going to have DLC, which yeah. hopefully for Skyrim But like seriously, would. Skyrim, all you do is you say, oh, well, guess what? Because um, uh, they have to plan for the contingency that you would finish the Civil War game and still or finish the Civil War story and still have tons of stuff left over to do. Yeah. You think they would have that, like, but what are you going to say? Well, wait nine months until we put out DLC. Well, you can do it. Like, if you shit. side with the, the Imperials, then, okay, well, you kill Ulfric, but he's just, you know, and then, you know, like, one of his sub-dudes. I can't, I can't even remember what the sister. story of that game is. Because I, seriously, the first five hours, I, like, did the main quest stuff, and then I just shot off. I know the dwarf shit's nuts. I can't remember what the main, like, problem in the world of Skyrim is. And I just played the game for thirty hours this week. Yeah. yeah, but my point is, like, with the with the, if you side with the Imperials and you're defeating the rebels, well, then the rebels have another leader. No problem. Yeah. You don't even the the rebel leader doesn't have to be a character that you can interact with. But you know, be there's going to be someone out there. Yeah, yeah someone who is leading the. That's resistance. the nature of rebellion. But if you have the Imperials lose. How do you... It's not a resistance. They're the ruling power in some degree. That's going to change the world, no matter yeah. what. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's just like that... I don't know what the fix is for that, necessarily. That's 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 environment through story, though. Yeah. Which kind of leads into everyday bits of the world that you see in the environment. In a perfect... In a perfect... But, I mean, I, you guys know this. I approach gaming for story. Yeah. And what I, what I enjoy most about gaming is how gaming, very particularly, allows you to interact with the story and with characters and with the world. That is why I like video games. You know what I have to say? I like the music in Dire Dire Docks in Super <laughs> Mario 64. That is the opposite end of that conversation where I'm just... I, I, I like the graphics in the... Well, here's the thing. The, I'm sitting here saying about... Oh, I only... I am still in memory one in Assassin's Creed Revelations because I'm just running around the city jumping off of minarets yeah. and buying up um, blacksmith shops. So the atmosphere in the Assassin's Creed... Which one is this? What's it? Revelations? This is Revelations. This it's good. The, the world building is... Oh, all, is, uh, Constantinople it's, feels like the most organic city to me. You were talking about you, you were running down an alley and you just found a four guys like playing dice in, in... They did a really good job of having the people in... In the world interacting with the world in, in nice ways yeah Ooh. which is a, something they needed in the assassin's creed games so like you'll yeah, kind of go little things little like bit, but yeah i mean and it's still they're still pretty static it's it's literally just they have more stuff for the secondary models to do or it should be like these these background models dude that's all it is but yeah it well these helps. games have been so iterative i could see them having extra time where they exactly. could say you know this game we're going to focus on the second like all the secondary little bit players just little things like i'm running down a bunch of steps and there's a dude sitting on one of the steps you know, it's just nice, nice like to have. yeah t- or there's there's a church that I found that's in this quiet, secluded little corner, and they're all. And I went behind the church, and I found a couple 
that was sitting on. They had a. Um, a uh, they were having a picnic, so yeah. they had. They just. I mean, they're just using assets from the game. They've got a rug on the floor. They've got a basket with food in it from like a a, a market level. Yeah. And then there's a dude who's like sitting on his in, uh, on one knee. And he's like talking to this beautiful woman, and the woman's like, oh, and that's all they're doing. Or like, I I found a graveyard, and there was a man consoling a woman. And she's weeping. Just little hmm. things like that that just makes the world. If feel you stay there forever, they're always, she's always. They're always. Yeah. So it's still the Disneyland tour ride exactly. version of that world. But still, the fact that that detail is there. It's something is that great, they need. Yeah. Like they had that to some degree, and it's. But it's just it's something I appreciate so much, and it makes the world feel more full. Those people, like, not that they have that many of those, that that much of attention to detail when it comes to NPCs in the previous Assassin's Creed games, but Assassin's Creed games are, to me, one of the best examples of environments and games in terms of just detail and scale yeah. and the, just architecture. Those just, worlds are just a pleasure to exist in. Uh, the Assassin's Creed games, to me, I've always said this, this is the closest thing we have to having a holodeck where you can go back and visit yeah. another time or place and we especially do, when it comes to video games but at the end of the day we are both history nerds yeah so and so this is going to be kind of it's right that. in our wheelhouse right but there yeah, like going to rome and seeing just the duomo and yeah not even just the, how it appears now but how i it bought hagia sophia yeah. today i mean it's like that's the sort of shit that's gonna get me excited but like just being in those places in that world and just being able to just explore it it's yeah. just so i mean it's one of the most pleasurable experiences i have had in gaming yeah, really but even is. the sound effects and like even Assassin's yeah. Creed the music is great, oh, but not yeah. just like the the, the score, which you know just kind of nice, but also the, the sound of the world, the sound of the world, people singing to each other and yelling yeah. and fighting and stuff, and it's just like uh, when you're walking by the river, the gurgle. I mean, this is in Skyrim. Yeah. Skyrim is a great example of this too. Oh, I got I forgot about that. Like when you're going by the canals, like yeah. in Florence or something like that, you just hear like. In the, or in Venice, just the gurgle of the water. Oh my god, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just so I, I easy think about that, to slip. Uh. Constantinople is one of my favorites because um, one of the things they've struggled with in the Assassin's Creed games is artificially restricting you from parts of the city. Yeah. Well, did and they in change it for this game? Because in the previous games, it was just big holodeck wall that just doesn't yeah. let you pass. There's, there's that to a degree. It's only on the border of the city, though. Oh, okay. It, you can, uh, from the start of the game, with very little exception, you can go anywhere. That's nice. There's one area of the city that is not open to me, and I presume it's going to be some sort of end game thing. But it's just... And, and the game... The, this level feels very... Or the Constantinople feels very layered and multi-level in a way that feels very organic. Is there a lot of uh, vertical space there, too? I guess if it's Assassin's Creed game, there's always going to be yeah. uh, shit to climb. Yeah. But, you know. There was one town in the last Assassin's Creed game that was like on a cliff face almost. It was like a dock size yeah. thing. And that was, was so like layered that it was a bitch to get around in. Yeah. Constantinople is like the best compromise of that where it still feels very layered and you, you never feel like you're on a level space. You're always climbing up and down and into like it feels like a very rolling landscape yeah. in, that this city has brought it up on and it just feels. And there's like a very like they're, they'll have like a poor district and like but the, then the, sh the buildings will be shittier there and it's like see that's nice exactly so really... it's not just the same three buildings repeated over again yeah I mean it helps oh, that it's man. Constantinople too because you have all these different juxtapositions of different like um, architectural styles and yeah. stuff like that it's just yeah. I'm enjoying the hell out of it I love I love Assassin's Creed so what else like the game, it, can, it it feels rushed. It feels like it needs. It feels like it doesn't it was sound built. like the environment's rushed though. That's one thing that there's it's, some like there. It's not like perfectly polished, and like it, it, I wish that they could just take the time to make a really damn good polished Assassin's Creed. I game. wouldn't mind if like they had Assassin's Creed game or a reissue of the old games where it was just kind of like go explore, just like we kind of stripped out like the the story of the game and just go yeah. just. 
we've built this perfect world. Just go have fun. Yeah. Just like just run basically around. with the Minecraft of Assassin's yeah. Creed. Yeah. Yeah. Man, Minecraft. <laughs> that actually, technically, we should have Minecraft somewhere in here just because you're building your own environment. Yeah. Like, you know, you're being. Uh, that's a great you know game where it's you're a good just... way to engage a, a player in their environment is giving them a measure of control. Well, Minecraft is one of the rare games that you see these days where you're just dropped into an environment with no explanation of what's going on and you're yeah. just left to fend for yourself. It's it's player versus environment, yeah. but not in a way that's scripted. Mm-hmm. But it's still really cool if you're into exploring. But there is no story or there's there's no hooks for an Annie Maloney to get into it because there's no that's character or story or anything. Yeah, one of my favorite aspects of um, uh, environment in gameplay is. Um, and it's not like this is only native to gameplay, but in video games, they can do a really, I think, a better job with it. Or it's more effective, is when you have an environment that's very carefully constructed, an environment that you spend a lot of time in, and then that environment is undone. Yeah. It's either destroyed, or it's under attack, or something is happening. And because you've spent so much time in it as a gamer, and because you've felt so connected to it and because in video games for the most part environments don't change like they don't we have that expectation that this is how it is forever when you have those environments then come under attack or be destroyed it's it feels at least for me i have a very emotional reaction to that because it's like it it, like the tibetan village in uncharted 2 is a great example of that because it's not that you spend a lot of time there but you know in 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 the narrative like you you you're you come to there and you're exploring and it's a very peaceful place the you can circumstances pet the in which you're brought to the Tibetan village yeah. and the details that put into it just for the like 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 you're in there for like 10 minutes or less yeah. is so you build up such an affinity for that world even though yeah, you see such, such a thin slice it. of it and it's so quick and but it's then so when you come back and unlike, see it blown up. Yeah, it's so like unlike anything else you see if seen prior in that game too. Yeah. Because it's like a, it's like, you know, this this tight knit little village and it's um there are all these beautiful patterns and fabrics and everything, these people and and um, you know, uh, then later in the game you come yeah, it's it's under attack and there's this whole tank battle that you have. I forgot about it was a tank, yeah. A tank is basically chasing you through this Tibetan village and destroying it. And it's so much more jarring to have that happen in that context. You know? Yeah. Bill, do you have anything to add? Yeah, well, it's interesting that the Tibetan Village thing comes up right after the big set piece of the game, which is the battle on the train, which is another yeah. environment thing. Because Man, you can just Uncharted 2, moving boom. environment. Pick up the mic, Uncharted 2, drop the mic, walk well, away. Well, I, I didn't want to have this conversation without talking about Uncharted, because the Uncharted, Uncharted games, their environments in are particular. It's, man, it's funny because Uncharted 3 is only like a couple months old, but it's funny how it's already been codified that Uncharted 2... Yes, the best. It's, and it, like I and said, even, I love some of the set pieces in Uncharted 3. Oh, yeah. like, I, love I still love that the damn stuff. boat. Fuck, I love the that boat. boat. Oh, the boat thing. The I forgot boats, about the water. The graveyard of the boats, and then you're in the boat, and the boat is shifting oh, yeah. in the water around it. It's still like, funny to... Shit, Lord. Although that, 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 that speaks to the schism of story and gameplay versus great environments, because story-wise, you really don't need anything from that part of Uncharted 3 where it's the boat and going onto the boat. Nothing happens. You don't find out anything about the plot that moves the plot forward. You need a break. It's a shifting set piece. You need a break. But that, that is that level is pretty yeah. much for all intents and purposes a narrative beat. Yeah. But nothing happens that you know, like no one lives or dies that you care about. You don't like recover any treasure that you need to move the story forward. Mm-hmm. But anyway, but uh yeah, no, but uh the, the Tibetan village in Uncharted too, yeah, it happens right after the big train fight, which is it's a whole level on a yeah. moving train. Where it's both like inside, like the enclosure train, where you're having uh, like yeah. So like you start, like, I think it like goes from tunnel, like underground train tracks, and then you're going through like um, 
like uh like a, there's a lake and so you've got like the water aspect of it and well, then you're the kind trees, of outdoors because like there are and then you're the going train. up a mountain yeah. and yeah. there's a snowy landscape and it's all around but the even train. on the train sometimes you're indoors on the train having gunfights sometimes yeah. you're outside like on like on like, like shipping uh, pallets on the train climbing up on top of the train yeah. fighting helicopters having shit fired at you rockets and uh and yeah that goes on for like 15 minutes oh, man. Huge and it piece. is i have never been so on the edge of my seat as during that entire sequence yeah but it's great that they have that like you know they had to invent new technology to pull that whole stage off yeah and then but it, then it turns into the Tibetan village or well, even like again with an uncharted uh two the way it starts off with you just on that train hanging yeah. off the yeah the, the that's a great environment yeah and just you know just that's naughty just... dogs that's why i cannot be cynical about last the last of us no. they know it takes how place to... in pittsburgh that's the best environment it possibly <laughs> oh, could be me. if there's a stage that takes place inside the carnegie library i'll be so happy yeah, yeah. but, but uh, yeah no yeah. having but that and that that's a piece is another sense of like so you're on this train you spend so much damn time on the train and then the train explodes yeah. and then all of a sudden the environment changes it still has the context of the train and you climb up the train on the side of the mountain and then you're fighting out over the ruins of this train one thing i do like it's about a great reversal. it's it's a word to bring up bastion in this conversation because yeah. bastion is interesting because the environment builds up around you as you're walking around literally yeah but i it do like one of the endings way. of bastion bastion is the opportunity to destroy the world that you've been building up mm-hmm. and restart again and build up a whole new world that's kind of nice you don't actually see the world get destroyed or anything like that yeah. but it is that bastion is such an environment centric game yeah that that's even as a story beat that you that would essentially happens off screen it's nice that that's a part of the story though yeah. or a potential story depending on well how you the environment that. is the story in bastion i mean both yeah. in a literal sense and in like the a lot of the world building that you get is from the environment that you find around you and you're putting the world back together that's the whole point yeah. of the game you're finding these fragments of the world and kind of piecing yeah. them back together and... like some of my favorite my favorite world building in games has not been what i have been told but what i have found mm-hmm. like the the small i when we i played the beta journey small amount that i played one of my favorite aspects of it were these glyphs that you found that at first they seem like it's like some sort of pictogram and then you look at it and you realize that they're it's telling a narrative of whatever the story of the world is and it's just like it's skyrim really disappointed me because they have like in the trailer they showed the wall alduin's wall with all the carvings and everything like that and they have hints in some of the caves of these carvings but they're the same carvings yeah and i wanted to see this i wanted to be able to find the story of the world in the world and not in books that doesn't exist in the game not really not in skyrim that wall is no i mean no alduin's wall does but that's it there's Alduin's wall, and then in some of the caves, you'll find carvings on the walls of, like, hmm. the mass people or whatever. I dimly remember the trailer for Skyrim, but, you know. Yeah, well, the trailer for Skyrim was Alduin's wall. Yeah. I remember all the stone, like, dragons and shit. That was Alduin's wall, yeah. But it's, like, I what I really liked about Journey was, like, how... And one of the best examples of this that I can think of is where it's not... Where the story is being told by the world more than anything else is mm-hmm. the opening sequence of Half-Life 2. So yeah, you, I forgot that you have played that game. Well, no. Here's the thing: I've played. I've not. I never played Half Life. Um, is that Half Life Two Episode One? Was that what you gave me or whatever? Whatever's in the orange box. Uh, that will no. When you start off that game, that is the beginning of Half Life Two. Okay. Wait, are you getting off the train and you're yeah. at the train depot? I have that not. That is the beginning of Half Life Two. I have not gotten past that train depot. Why? I've never. I'm not very good at shooters, and it's just old enough that the controls are kind of janky, and I'm bad at it. 
Half Life Two, that opening too. Oh, I never that read. opening sequence though. I don't. I'm not familiar at all with the Half Life universe, and by what I've read about it, it looks like no, it doesn't. It just. I've never played Half Life One. But that that was such a great evocative level. Like I you know what's not, going on in that world man. just from. Well, if if uh, for people who have never played Half Life Two, uh, you're this guy who essentially wakes up on a train. You don't know why you've been put there, but you all you know you wake up and it's the train pulling into a place called City Seventeen, which looks like this blasted to fuck Eastern European prison city, prison yeah. city, where everyone's just in really drab overalls and uh, there's these uh, like security robots that are flying around, like getting all up in your face, taking photos, and you've got yeah. these like really fucked up kind of like fascist looking guards all around like beating yeah. up on people and and like all the the citizens are all beat down and really sad and there's just yeah. kind of little bits of garbage everywhere and you've yeah. got this uh uh overseer of the planet uh on these uh video screens all over the place uh just talking about it's like lecturing. oh welcome yeah. to city 17 this is a great place to live and he's speaking on behalf of these alien overlords who have, which have taken over the earth but he's trying to make it sound like Oh, our benefactors are such great people. Well, you know, we can't procreate, and it's great. It's very Let Orwellian. Me tell you why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, no, if you don't want to fuck this, this is why. It's a good thing. Go yeah. watch TV or something. Yeah. And yeah, and that's that, that sense is great... of world. It's just like a, I mean, I want to play the rest of the game just to see what the rest of the set pieces are. Yeah. Like Valve, they're I that mean, is portal. that is the highlight of the game in terms of environment, though. Half Life Two is interesting because they were originally going to make the whole point of Half Life Two was. It takes place in a near future mm -hmm. city on Earth after the Earth has been taken over by aliens. And originally, mm -hmm. their uh, designers came up with this very Blade Runner city oh, that really? the game was going to take place in. But they realized uh, if, if the game takes place in this already kind of alien environment where, where it's this Blade Runner city, mm -hmm. it's your connection to the world is going to seem... There's not going to be... You're not going to have as much of a connection because it's nothing that you're familiar with. Whereas if they put you in this kind of Eastern Bloc world, it's something that you've seen in real life, or at least you've seen on the news or something like that. Mm -hmm. And you could you understand what kind of environment that might be, and it feels like something mm -hmm. on yeah. Earth. Yeah. And, well, there's even kind of a weird sociopolitical subtext where it's all these, like, relatively affluent white people who have been shoved in this Eastern Bloc community. And, like, Eastern Bloc... Uh, cities are kind of like short cultural shorthand for oh my god how poor and destitute are you yeah and that's where all these american people are now living in yeah. it's like oh my god look how things are look how bad you know it's fucked up when an american white man is yeah exactly yeah city. um so but yeah yeah just just that that whole opening of the game is fantastic and like the rest of the game is great too because you get uh you go off to the ocean and you're by the ocean front and you get to see these little like a uh, little beat down little oceanside towns, but then you mm -hmm. also find out the uh, ocean mm -hmm. level has been dropped by like ten meters. Oh, seriously! And like, there's all these stranded boats on the shore. This, this is something that no one really calls out specifically in the game that much. Yeah, but it's just all but part of the there. world building. The aliens are stealing the, the water out of the oceans, huh. and the and yeah, the the ocean level has dropped like like fifteen feet. Wow! Just enough. It's not like super thrown in your face that this has happened. It's but just a like, subtle detail. It's like oh shit. See, that's and, uh, nice. It's nice when you have just those details that are there in the environment if you're looking for them and add to a richer experience yeah. but are mostly subliminal. Yeah. Like, one of my... We talking a little bit before about reversal of your environment and reversal of expectations. I love in the first Portal game when you start that game and it feels like you're in this very clinical, yeah. like, environment. Yeah. And you see the observation rooms. 
and you're like wondering like and it's just there it's just part of the environment and then later you find out and it seems all very sterile and you find out that it's all abandoned and you get to go into those observation rooms and there's nothing there well yeah because after th- you don't even find out that there's any kind of extra story to the game until about three hours into the game yeah. and after that three hours you kind of assume that maybe like the fact that there's these observation rooms maybe that's just kind of weird design affectation they thought yeah. it would be kind of funny like oh, oh, maybe or it's like, sometimes... like it's you're, you're being tested yeah. and you're being observed and maybe there aren't people there looking maybe people are just watching through the cameras or something like that but after a while you kind of forget about that but then yeah. you find out there's a reason why there's observation lounges yeah. uh, where people should be looking at you but why there's no one there it's like yeah. oh shit yeah. yeah and it's a subtle thing again it's like so there are observation rooms where you're not being observed Yeah. and that's again it's just a that's subtle a story. thing that we're that's, looking that's exactly one, yeah. and see that's brilliant because that's just narrative and gameplay is usually not so subtle and it's so wonderful when you can have that applied so subtly like things like when you're playing through portal 2 and you're going through the levels of aperture even if you didn't weren't being told about the passage of time you see the passage of time through the change of design in those environments and like man and just even talking about environment uh yeah storytelling through environment yeah passage through old uh, aperture science in portal 2 just or bioshock is i mean obviously what most people think of if they're going to think about any sort of like narrative told by the environment yeah i mean because that's one of the best examples it really, it's, still, it's it cracks me up that when people talk about this game oh bioshock takes place in 1940s i'm like no it doesn't it takes place in 1960 you're going to a place that was built in the 30s and 40s but hasn't like been rotting for throughout yeah. all of the 50s yeah it's kind of funny that like people don't understand that like well, it's like it's like Fallout doesn't set place in 1950. Fallout's but... a little weird because that's not consistent. Where it's like, oh, Fallout takes place in like 2077, except all pop culture stopped in 1957 <laughs> and has been in a holding pattern for a hundred years before the world ended. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I kind of wish Fallout was a little bit less fantasy. I, I kind of wish that the story of Fallout was a nuclear war had happened in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. It would make more sense. If that's actually was the story, rather than just saying it's a retro-futuristic well, thing with robots. There's and, nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with it. But just from a story-building, world-building point of view... If I you think remove it, that, it's it not Fallout. More, I know. That's literally what Fallout I was dis- is. When I first... You always talked to me about how great Fallout was and how much you liked the original Fallout games. I was a little bit disappointed when I first played Fallout 3, which was obviously was my first Fallout game that I played, that like there were giant like cockroaches and giant seven-foot-tall mutant monsters, where I thought it was going to be a little more of a realistic Mad Max. I oh, it was see, be I Mad just Max pitched it to you in the 1950s. Because Fallout 3, Fallout New Vegas brought this back a little bit. The Fallout, original Fallout games had a wicked sense of humor. Yeah. Like, it was very much so tongue no, you, you always talked about that, but just in terms of, like, There's the, the juxtaposition monsters of... and the timeline. I seriously yeah. thought Fallout took place, like, now, but after the world's been destroyed by nuclear war, like, 30 or 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. I was a little disappointed, like, like that's why I was like, well, what's this talk about 27, like, the year is 2077? I'm like, what? And it wasn't bad. I still enjoyed the game. It's just my expectation Don't for what that Don't you piss on Fallout. <laughs> It's Bethesda no, Fallout, which is a yeah. real Fallout if you're, really, if you're a real fan. But yeah. um, uh, I want to talk a little bit about Mass Effect because I am me. Yeah, you have good and bad to say about Mass Effect. Mass Effect is interesting because I love Mass Effect so much, as you guys know. See, But, um, man, especially when you're playing the first... One of my biggest disappointments in Mass Effect 2 was one of my favorite things in Mass Effect 1. Um, oh, the, yeah. The Citadel is a great environment, and it is the environment in Mass Effect 1. Let us be honest with ourselves. The Citadel it's the biggest is environment in any bi- Mass Effect games, which isn't yeah. saying much because all the environments in Mass Effect are, in terms of like space you can go to, yeah, is pretty much a, like a hallway in an office building. <laughs> but ultimately, like the Citadel was such a great place, and it was such a great 
uh, it is literally the, the 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 focus of that universe, yeah. and so you got spend the first by seven going, hours in the game and the first by going to the Citadel, Citadel, you yeah. learn all you need to know about that entire universe. It's Mass Effect boot camp. It's so brilliant. Yeah. It's so great, and I love the Citadel. And then to have the climactic set piece set place in the Citadel under attack is that just is still so... one of my all time gaming environment things that have ever happened. Was when you're fighting yeah. the Reaper, and like you're like I still don't know like. Technologically, I don't know how they pulled that off for Mass Effect 1 because that Reaper is fucking huge. Yeah. And, like, so many giant pieces as its arms and legs are moving. Like, yeah. it's essentially giant parts of the world are falling apart and its arms and legs are moving. And it's just... But you still see the walls of the Citadel around you because those yeah, Citadels closed up around yeah, the you. Arm, yeah. And, like, oh, shit! That's a great awesome. set piece. Yeah. And, like, the Citadel, even though it's um, uh, uh, our bro, our Australian bro, Sean Baker pointed this out in his email is like it's kind of technically kind of a generically sci-fi environment and they did that very deliberately because the the concept oh, no. behind mass effect is that it, they wanted it to be like an 80s sci-fi film yeah so it feels like that that's and why there's things film, i love in the first it. game there's film grain i wish they brought and we got that bomb wow soundtrack yeah. and stuff it's yeah. very much so that it's sort of the thing. drive of <laughs> of, of, of 80 science fiction you know what yeah. if i could shoot that reporter in the head with a shotgun burst rather than <laughs> sh- punch her i would just no, a pokemon but, or whatever exactly. it is no, 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 in the fruit. Anyway. Um, uh, yeah. Oh, but no, yeah, that's right. Then in Mass Effect 2, you get to go back to the Citadel, and I was so disappointed. It kind of goes back to your issue well, with Fable. Well, there's less to do. Not even that. It was kind of like what you said with Fable, where it's like you feel so disconnected because you're just fast traveling from zones, from hubs, as opposed to feeling any sort of... And it's it, with this. I was so disappointed with the Citadel in Mass Effect Two because it didn't feel like any of the Citadel they designed in Mass Effect One. They changed the like the visual design, or was it to an extent? Just less of it was the more like how score? it was laid out. And you could argue that the Citadel has many, many hubs. Yeah. Like when you when you look into the the, the like it's like that. What we were able to experience the Citadel in the first Mass Effect game was a tiny sliver. Yeah. And it was the the wealthy sliver. Like even the the um. What is it? Not the hive. The the wards. There we go. Yeah. The wards, which are the quote-unquote poor part of that part of the Citadel, are wealthy and extravagant compared to other aspects of the Citadel. Because each of the arms is very different. But when yeah. you're in Mass Effect 2, when you're visiting the Citadel, one of my biggest disappointments is when you get to go visit either um, whoever you chose to be the ambassador for Han- mankind or the, the leader of mankind at the end of your game. Yeah. You go visit them in the off- their office. And you get to see... The Citadel, as you once visited it, but all you can go to is that room. And I just felt like this this vivid sense of loss. Like I want, I love this place, and I want to be able to walk through it. But it didn't add anything to the kinda, gameplay. You it almost, wasn't. You almost wish you could could kind of just dump the code from the old game for the, all those parts of the Citadel and come back and just see what how everyone's changed in the yeah. last couple of years. Granted, like, that's actually, they, they, they were rushing to get the game out the door in the first place. I could see why they don't have more of the absolutely. Citadel Absolutely. But then but the other parts nice. of the Citadel that you do get to visit, yeah. like CSEC and all that, and you go shopping, they don't feel like the Citadel. The whole shopping district is like one hallway. It, but I mean, yeah. beyond that, from a design, it doesn't feel like the Citadel. Is, it feels no different from Ilium to me, and I loved Ilium. Ah, that's true. Well, it doesn't help that a lot. Of, so much of that stuff is indoors, whereas a lot of the Citadel that's stuff in the first true. game was kind of like maybe that is whatever part. the out, whatever for outdoors passes on the Citadel, where yeah. it's like gardens and you can kind of see like the distant like yeah. other parts of the Citadel and stuff. And again, again, you can argue it's a diff- it could be a different arm of the Citadel and blah blah blah. Oh yeah, there's enough of the Citadel. You can kind of almost create any environment and say, oh, this want. is just it's a this Citadel. random part of the Citadel. But it doesn't work for me as a player <sighs> yeah, being really interested true. in that Let environment. Let me see how the Citadel evolves again when you visit in Mass Effect 3. Yeah. I'll be curious how much, because I mean, you, you're you 
I'm it'd be interesting to see how they deal with that sort of thing because this is something that Mass Effect has always struggled with because in Mass Effect 1 they have this great environment of the Citadel yeah and then everywhere else you go to I mean we, there's no barrier and they're, they're like the big set piece places that mm-hmm. you can go to that feel pretty well defined and different but then all the other planets you go to are the same planets with the same buildings and it makes sense in the context of the world because they have prefab whatever what Mass but Effect 1? yeah Mass Effect 1 to a Everything, certain point I know it's I mean yeah. I know but you know you, you, it, nothing everything pales after the Citadel because nothing feels as fully formed yeah and then a Mass Effect 2 well that's what they they, they kind of took the, all the energy they put into making the first uh, Citadel in the first and game and to kind of spreading it around the yeah. rest of the game yeah maybe not so much with but at the, the scanning the planets from uh you know minerals dude better but... that than landing on the oh, surface no, 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 and running no, 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 over yeah that's it's just a real and also they got to get um trisha helford to say scanning uranus which has to count for something <laughs> but yeah and it really just that's that's just a real reallocation of resources it's the same amount of work but just yeah I'm yeah. curious to see how it works, how what they wind up doing in Mass Effect 3. Citadel Mass Effect 3 is just going to be a broom closet. <laughs> just show up. It's just Anderson with a folding uh, chair. Just like, hmm, Shepard, welcome to the Citadel. Yeah, but Mass yeah. Effect to me is so much more about the people who are in it than the places. Yeah, but the environment really helps. Oh, yeah, it's a huge part of that. Like any having... kind of, Well, any kind of science fiction thing, the environment's going to be But even then, it's like the people in the environment. Like, I love all the conversations you can overhear, especially in Mass Effect 2. That's one of my favorite parts of Mass Effect 2 is the bar on... Not Ilium. What's the... What's the Asari planet? I thought that was Ilium. Which is... Oh, is it... I'm confusing Ilium that I'm... what Whatever the name of the the, the planet with the lady who... Uh, it's like the crime... Omega-4. I'm confusing... Is that the four. asteroid with the club on it? Yeah. yeah. Is that Omega-4? No, I that's so. the... Yeah. That's anyway. Omega-4 and fatty acids. And the freeway. That's right. <laughs> anyway, no. And Ilium, excuse me. I love the bar in Ilium. Yeah. Mostly because the Asari Krogan bartender is my favorite character in the Mass Effect universe. <laughs> and also that at, the, at that bar, you drop in on a bachelor party... That's a bachelor party attended by... There's a human male. There's um, a, a Turian, a Solarian. And they're talking about this bachelor party. I dimly remember that. It's one of my favorite pieces of conversation. Because they all have very different, like, sexual... Yeah. And, uh, and it's just great. And they're, but they're bros. And they're meeting up after work. Like, you can tell they're, like, accountants or something. And they're, they're just bukkakiing on a volus. It's just great. It's just a great little piece of world building. Yeah. And you can miss it. But it's there. And I that's great. Yeah, yeah. That's what that's, I love about some of the effects. best parts of uh, world building are the optional bits that you you might miss. Well, because it makes it real. Yeah. It's things like turning a corner in Assassin's Creed Revelations and finding dudes, you know, playing yeah. dice. Making the world not an automated uh, "it's a small world after all" ride is what makes it feel like a real world. Just that yeah. there's stuff to miss. Yeah. Uh, what else? Are we talking about a specific theme? I can't remember like what we're our talking generally of about was. environments. Bill, what do you want to talk about environments? Um. Oh no, this is focus. you know what we have this giant list of stuff to talk about. This is us just talking about our terrible use of environment in games, which is nothing compared to everything else we've written down. Um. Well, I don't think it. Like I said, I don't like La Noir. I think is a waste, and I think that is one of the most egregious wastes in recent memory. Well, but, I, like, uh, one of the things I had on my list was just the list of robust sense of places. We already talked about this, uh, Assassin's Creed. The other, the other game I put on that list was Far Cry 2. 
the little bit I played it for Cray 2 was it, nice that, you know... Yeah, it's a big, expansive world where it's slightly realistic and that guns wear down. I bet it's funny, guns having wear and tear. Not necessarily, like, environment in the sense of, like, space mm-hmm. where you're running around. Well, it's your, it's how you of... feel in the environment. It adds tension to your... Yeah, and like, they've got, like, you've got different factions that you're playing off of each other. It's it's, it's very open-worldy, but, like, the fact that you've got... You really like open-world games. Yeah, I like the freedom to do whatever the hell I want. Like, how I, when we role-play... Uh, tabletop D and D. Like how much I'm always trying to break everything because I'm so used to like I just want to see I just want a rule set and see how it can break that rule set, which is great for open world games. Yeah. Um, Skyrim is a little bit like Skyrim's like that too, with like you know the fact that you just go off in a in any direction in the game and just go off and have an adventure unlike anyone else would have if they went off in that same direction. Yeah. Um, I don't know, but that's that's kind of a vague thing to talk about. Robust sense of place. Assassin's Creed is great just because they, they, the attention to detail, especially historical attention to detail. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, uh, well, I wrote down some stuff where using environment to tell the story, which we already touched on with Bastion and, Mm -hmm. uh, Half-Life 2. Um, I wanted to mention, uh, Flower, where technically you play as the environment. Yeah, Yeah. the the, the Flower being the PlayStation Network game developed by the same guys who did, uh, uh, Journey. Um, that's just kind of interesting that, yeah, technically you're part of the environment because you're playing as the wind. Mm -hmm. That's kind of cool. And the fact that you're just, like... You're the environment, uh, trying to have an impact on the environment, mm-hmm. where you're nature, but you're trying to like resurrect this human city that has been destroyed. Uh, that's the ultimate course of the game, or point of the game. That was kind of interesting, and you know that's a game with great design. Yeah. All the nature stuff, all the grass effects, it's a beautiful and everything. Game. Yeah, it's a beautiful game. The music is great. The sound effects are great. Uh, Journey, same company. Uh, that, from what we saw from the beta, that game was in very environment-centric, where it's just you and the environment and whatever random other people happen to be playing the game the same time as mm-hmm. you are. And, God, I can't uh, wait for Journey. God damn. And just, you know, of course, the design of that game is fantastic. It's beautiful. Oh, Jesus. But it's hard to say about any much more about Journey, because we don't know anything about it specifically. Um, I had a list of environments, impact on gameplay slash environment-centric games. Uh, first two games on that list were Mario 64 and Grand Theft Auto 3, just because they're so largely responsible for how environments are evolved on consoles. Very much so. With Mario 64 like being the first real template setter for essentially moving around in games, even yeah. uh, with the N64 being the first home console with a thumbstick. Yeah. Like, just from a hardware perspective, that really helped environment design because it let you uh, gave you an easy way to to get through the, those 3D uh, gaming environment worlds. Mm-hmm. And Grand Theft Auto 3 with really blowing up the whole idea of sandbox games. Yeah. Um, say what you will if you don't even care about Grand Theft Auto games, but Grand Theft Auto 3 was kind of the great big granddaddy of big, huge expansion. No one, no games. one can deny the influence of Grand Theft Auto 3. Yeah, uh, had Half Life 2, Mercenaries and Red Faction. Yeah. Uh, Gorilla, just for destructible environments, yeah. and mercenaries! I yeah. love the shit! I think you can yeah. play as Han Solo or Indiana Jones, yeah. and you call it an airstrike that will blow up a whole city block. That was fantastic. And with Red Faction Gorilla being able to knock down a whole building with a hammer. That's fucking <laughs> awesome. Um, Super Mario Galaxy is interesting just because the rounded worlds, mm-hmm. kind of uh, the changing the sense of space that you can yeah. run around was kind of cool. Well, that's always an interesting thing, because again, that's like the expectation of gameplay and then fucking with it. Like, yeah. um, um, Psychonauts has uh. a lot of really brilliant, like, um, level design. Like, one of my favorites... 
just for messing not that it didn't really affect the gameplay to any great degree but there's a level where the, the premise of psychonauts is that you it's brilliant you each level is actually in someone's head so it's their perception of reality and their neurosis and their uh, all their anxieties and everything like that are physical obstacles in the game and also their worldview becomes the environmental view so you jump into the head of a paranoid schizophrenic and um, the milkman, the milkman, yeah, the milkman level. Stage. The art direction in it was great. Just visually, it was great. But literally, like the world is warped. Like there's not a level plane. Everything kind of twists, and like gravity will kind of be at right angles. There's no and, right angles. Exactly, and, yeah, and uh, it's total. It's a great visualization of what that is. Like the level that everyone remembers from Psychonauts, or like one of their everybody has their favorites. But there's like a, a black velvet painting, like that's a neat, a, like a glow in the dark velvet painting level. That's more aesthetics than design. Yeah, uh, gameplay world and yeah, environment. Design, but that's what but, I yeah. loved about the Milkman level is that I liked the narrative of that level and the way that um, the visually like. The actual gameplay mechanics that they added like having uh, items basically an inventory puzzle in a platform game character through environment that's a rare thing to see yeah, yeah. that's what psycho that's why psychonauts is a brilliant game i don't you know i i love the psychonauts but and, and i loved the psychic summer camp that it takes in place in but just that premise to have levels be a, a depiction of someone's perception of reality is such yeah. a great premise way to go tim good one tim schaefer you know what you're doing uh, I had mentioned uh, Beetle Adventure Racing, which is an ancient name, uh, Nintendo 64 game, which was... I've never heard of this game. I never talked about this before. This is I'm one sure of my favorite games of all time. I'm sure you have. Beetle, Beetle Adventure Racing was a racing game. Shocker. It's a racing game involving Volkswagen Beetles. For the oh, seriously? Nintendo I was going to Beetles like the bug. No, all the cars are Volkswagen Beetles, uh, except uh, the reason it's called Adventure Racing is because they tried to layer on all these kind of adventure uh, elements from like the Mario 64 games. It's not it's huh. not a Nintendo game, but uh, the courses, there's all these crazy shortcuts and shortcuts on top of shortcuts on top of shortcuts. So mm. uh, in the course of playing uh, uh, racing a three lap race, uh, if you take all the right shortcuts, you're almost never like going you're over the same, same piece of track twice. twice. That's brilliant. And just from, like, it's it's one of the most exceptionally designed racing games I've ever seen. Where, yeah, you're encouraged that's just, like, awesome. if you see something in the air, just try to race through that wall if you see, if it looks like you could break through it. And see, you'll just go great, off in this whole because that's why I get fucking bored with racing games. Why do I want to go in a circle three times? Yeah, and this is not a circle. This is just giving you incentive, to, like, to go off and, like, oh, you see volcano thing? Well, there's a hole in the wall there. What happens if you race through that hole in the wall? Oh, it's dinosaurs, you're dead, but still... You, you died because you didn't go fast enough. You didn't jump over the dinosaur. You just jumped yeah. in one's mouth. But that's cool. Um, Shenmue, bringing up Shenmue again. Just you talked because, about that last week. Yeah, yeah. But, that, but a lot of the reason why I like Shenmue was because of its environment. It is, yeah. Was because, yes. Yeah, so, uh, well, it's also the mundane aspect of, like, you be hanging out in your parents' house and just open every drawer and see yeah. what's in the in, in, in the drawers. Yeah. And, you, you know, you that's get what pet, I liked pets. About, that was one of my favorite aspects of Heavy Rain. Yeah. Was when you're in an environment, again, like kind of reversing like what you expect. There's a part at the beginning of the game where you're the dad character with your son, and you know you're separated from your wife, and you you know you're trying to connect with your son, and uh, you're in this your shithole little apartment, and um, just going through that environment and just like yeah, you can open the fridge, you can drink orange juice, whatever. You can go out in your backyard and neglect your child, shoot hoops, and being able to do those mundane, mundane <laughs> things. But later, you're back in that same apartment, but your son is gone, has been kidnapped, and all of a sudden, in this totally mundane environment, there's just this layered sense of menace, and fear, yeah. and it's 
brilliant. It's so well done. And it just, that's what makes that moment. It's just that expectation of what you had before and where it changes and, and ha making that mundane, those mundane, mundane elements all of a sudden have this added emotional charge. That's nice. Yeah. Um, we're just going to talk about our own specific favorite bits and pieces from games real quick. Uh, Annie, you want to talk about Prince of Persia, Sands of Time? I Again, going back before. to a favorite game we've talked about in the yeah. past. But. I just wanted to touch on this real quick, because this is one of the first video games where I became... I, but I, well, the reason why Sands of Time is one of my favorites is that it's the fir one of the first games that I played where after playing it, I really dissected it yeah. and like take, took like and thought about it and how it was presented. And I really liked the... Um, the you play that entire game and you're going through a palace. So each level is like you're in the bathhouses, you're in the library, you're in the, the sultan's throne room, you're in his bedroom. And it's all ridiculous and in a grand scale, but it's this grand place that's being destroyed by your actions. And, but it felt like a contiguous, to use a word. Oh. It, it was a f even though it was all these, these levels, these very segmented levels, and you couldn't go back or forward, or only forward. They felt they had a very real sense of place. And so very it's a little connected. bit like Ico in that way, where yeah. it's like you're in one place, one palace. Yeah. Oh, similarly, we were in a palace, but you yeah. kind of see how things kind of crisscross over each other. Yeah, yeah, to some degree. Okay. And I, I actually stopped, and it made me think. Oh, I'm not just going through corridor number two. Yeah. And I was like, no, this is the hall that connects to the baths, and these are the baths in this palace. And, um, you know, like, I'm in, you know, there's a great whole sequence in this library, and it just felt very... Even though it's a ridiculously grand, uh, like, version of the, what this place could be in reality, mm -hmm. it all felt very real. And I felt like... Because ultimately, the stakes of the game are obviously you can lose this woman that you build this relationship, but this place is destroyed. And it just, like... And all the grandeur of it being destroyed. It just, like, made me think about environment in a way I never had before. No, that's understandable. Um, I... Is that... Did you want to say anything I'm else? Done. Okay. You, that's it. You don't have any other like things you want to like. We talked about everything else that I love. I love Psychonauts. Well, I like your. That is your crazy. list of your favorite uh, games and environments. Bill, my Bill list is ridiculous. Sent me this Word document or this this Google document that's just like a, a wall of words. I was like, I will. This is I like my list. Like well, like I, I, like, I like Uncharted Two. Uncharted so. Two. Uh, my favorite environments from games. Uh, Fendrana Drifts from Metroid Prime. It's snow level. It's very beautiful. Okay, it's good music. Uh, night haste. Uh, the uh, yeah, the night slash haystack stage from Flower, which we talked about before, but not yeah. this specific stage. Yeah, it takes place at night, and you're the wind, uh, and you're trying to bring back power to these uh, busted up uh, power lines. And for some reason, when you do that, like these haystacks light up, and just like there's no no. This is the one of the few stages in Flower where there's no music. It's just the, the night wind just blowing. Yeah. And you're already playing as the wind, but it's just so dark. And they actually really make that stage dark, but there's a little bit of a blue on the horizon just to kind of make it yeah. feel like that extra nighttime -y. And you're out in the yeah. country, too, and just, mmm. You turn off the lights, turn up the sound, and yeah. fucking blast that shit. It's fucking fantastic. Uh, there's a crisscrossing snow level in the first Halo game called Assault on the Control Room, which is a little bit like what you were talking about with the Halo game, where yeah. your, uh, your pass is kind of crossing itself quite a bit, so you yeah. kind of, like, you know, real sense of space. It's also a snow level. I have a big thing for snow levels in games because they tend to be the prettiest uh, true. levels. Um, ba, 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 ba. the Jurassic Park jungle stage in Beetle Adventure Racing. Oh, yeah, you start off in a dinosaur paddock, which is essentially the T-Rex dinosaur paddock from Jurassic Park. And then, yeah, you're racing through a volcano. There's a part where you'll see two little uh, torches in the middle of the jungle. If you suddenly decide to get off the track and go through, uh, race between the two torches, uh, you'll uh, crash through someone's jungle house and it's destroyed. <laughs> and then land in the middle of this uh, stone, like, Italian villa. It's very cool. 
Uh, Diary Diary Docs Mario 64. It's got great music. That's the swimming stage where you get chased by an eel. It's scary, and there's this whole... Oh, that's kind of great, because something in that world changes, because when you first start Dire Dire Docks in Mario 64, uh, there's a pirate ship at the bottom of this lake that you're swimming in, and you can eventually make it float up to the top, and then you're running around top of the pirate ship as it's floating. Hmm. It's kind of a cool thing that changes. Uh, the Temple of Time, Ocarina of Time, as a Zelda game, if you don't know. Uh-huh. It's beautiful. It's just, uh, it's where you first get the Master Sword, and it's got this great, like, great uh, Gregorian chant music. It's just really beautiful it's nice to be churchy uh, space and the same environment shows up in twilight princess where mm-hmm. that same temple of time is now ruined but it's all overgrown it's turned into this green glade with the master sword still in it one of my favorite bits from a zelda game ever the only part that i really remember from twilight princess and it looks just like this piece of artwork from um legend of zelda a link to the past an earlier zelda game which in the instruction manual showed the master uh, sword in its little pedestal in this grassy knoll. This is actually what shows up in Twilight Princess, but it's in the remains of what used to be this church in this other game. It's very cool. Um, the Snow Temple and Majora's Mask, which is another crisscrossing space uh, where uh, the the Snow Temple and Majora's Mask is it takes place inside a giant cylinder that you're slowly going up. And as you're going up the cylinder, you're you're this big gore. You turn into this big Goron stone guy who can smash through stone. And in the middle of the cylinder, there's like, like stacked like pancakes are these stone layers which you can smash through, and it just turns into this big, kind of space puzzle, a, a barrel-shaped space puzzle. It's just very. It's you ha- you'd have to see it and play it in real life to understand how it works. But it's just. Just from a technical point of view, how everything kind of collides together and smashes down at the end of that uh, that, that dungeon is very cool. Uh, the underwater Hyrule Castle in Wind Waker. You've never played the Zelda games. Nope. Yeah, that's there's a part in Wind Waker where you get to find uh, Hyrule Castle just underwater and hmm. everything's frozen in time. Uh, the Crystal Palaces and the Enterprise in Final Fantasy IV. You get a, a ship called the Enterprise in Final Fantasy IV. That's all mm-hmm. like electronic and shit. Yeah. It's got glowing circuits and stuff. It's very yeah. cool. And one last thing. Uh, the Rainy Night at the beginning of Legend of Zelda. Can you tell I uh, like the Zelda games? <laughs> uh, Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past, starts off on a rainy night. You're, you're asleep, but you're woken up by your uncle who has to run off to the castle to go save the princess. But the sound is the sound of pattering rain on the rooftop of your mm. cottage, which for a like first-generation Super Nintendo game back in the yeah. day, that was mind-blowing. Like yeah. an organic sound like rain pattering was like, and you go outside, and the sound effects and the sound of the actual rain falling on you was very cool. Uh, later on in this game, you get you end up in the Lost Woods, which is where, you, in that game, you actually do find the Master Sword. But, like, they did this great visual effect of the sun-dappled forest, creating this effect of uh, sunlight streaming through the trees onto the ground. Just a nice dapple effect. That's, again, I had never seen anything like that in a game before until yeah. uh, uh, Link to the Past. Which is funny, because I'm not even that big of a Link to the Past fan. Uh, fan, but that was very cool. Anyway, uh, should we do feedback from people real quick and shut this up? Sure. Um, so we got emails and stuff. Oh, you know, JoJo, my friend JoJo, he suggested we talk about one or two games real quick. Uh, JoJo uh, suggested we talk about iRobot, which is an old arcade game, one of the very first polygonal games in history. It's I should have shown you some of the YouTube footage he was showing me of these games. Uh, it's just polygonal 
Yeah. It's from 1983. Yeah. You're uh, just jumping uh, from block to block trying to shoot this eyeball in the eyeball when it turns red. But it's polygonal. It's like Star mm-hmm. Fox, but this is like 10 years before Star Fox yeah. ever came out. It's very cool. He suggested Paperboy. Yeah. Just because, like, that whole game. That's you're valid. Sort of, you're, you know, you go try to go around obstacles and stuff like that. And uh, he, his last game that he suggested uh, we mentioned is Mercenary Escape from Targ, which is an Atari 800 game, which uh, he pointed out was kind of Grand Theft Auto before Grand Theft Auto came out, in which it's an open-ended 3D kind of sandbox game. Hmm. This came out in, like, 1985, though. Uh, it's about you're this uh, astronaut who crash lands on this alien planet, and you have to collect all the pieces for your ship and to get back yeah. into space. But you you cr- crash land in the city, and the city's all vector graphics. You can travel around like in three D space, and you have to like tell like elevators in the basement of these buildings to like uh, find all the parts for your ship. And but you, there's no linear path. You're just yeah. in this environment. You can just go wherever you like and look for your pieces. And how will you find the pieces? You could just do it in any order. Yeah. And it's 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 a really simple game. You could beat it in five minutes if you know what you're doing. But, you know, for 1985 or whenever the yeah. hell it came out, that was a big deal. Yeah. Um, so that was JoJo's input. Arbro Brenna mentioned Vice City. Yeah! In particular. Grand Theft Auto. So when you look at the Rockstar oh, games, they're man. really, I mean, they're, I mean, open worlds with a sense, good sense of place. Like, like, Bully to some degree. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I love, man, Bully. I love Bully. Um, Grand Theft Auto 3. Rockstar is famous for these kinds of games because yeah. they are good at these games. But the smart thing about Vice City is that it's not just, you know, oh, here's this living urban city. It's like having that sense of time. Yeah. Like the to music, have, the soundtrack. Yeah. The and gra- like the, the costuming. And, yeah, it's old yeah, Miami Vice. Cars and everything like that. It's like, that is brilliant. I mean, they're smart. Like, really, like, that's one of the reasons why Red Dead is effective. It's like not just the sense of place, but the sense of time and place. Yeah. It's not like, that was one of the things that I couldn't get terribly interested in about Grand Theft Auto 4 was that I've seen New York City. Yeah. It's New York City. But you know, Vice City being essentially Miami in 1986. Yeah. See, that's much more yeah. interesting. Call me when if you can reskin Grand Theft Auto 4 so it's like gangs in New York or New York City. Then uh, New York City. Then I'll be interested. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, no, Brenna, this is, uh, uh, Vice City was the first game that Brenna, or, uh, Vice City was the first time Brenna had ever been exposed to the music of Ronnie James Dio, which, Brenna now being a giant metalhead, yeah. that's a seminal moment for, uh, Brenna Chase <laughs> yep. right there, yeah. Um, also, man, that game was great because I, back in the day, I would love to, uh, jump cars while listening to Kids in America at full blast. Yeah. That game was awesome. Yeah. What else? Oh, uh, should I go? Yeah. Uh, oh no, we got tweets from people. I forgot about that. You read tweets, I'll read emails. Uh, Sean Baker uh, wrote us to. S- he suggests Okami, which I actually I, I drew up a huge list of games which have great environments that we don't have the time to read off. But Okami was on that list. Um, Everyone super proud of when Bill reads the list. I know, but I, <laughs> that's how I organize information. Uh, Sean Baker says stylistically, I would say this is one of the perfectly executed games. It was like a world that was realized as a big Japanese screen print. Uh, yeah, that game, Okami, I never really played much of Okami, but I've seen, I saw Joshin play a bunch of it. That game looked beautiful, and the environment was nicely designed. Uh, Mass Effect. Man, we talk so much about Mass Effect, yeah. yeah. Um, and he also chooses Skyrim, which we talked a lot about Skyrim. Uh... Just walking around the world, you'll randomly stumble across new dungeons to raid, new characters to interact with, and new quests to complete. 
these there are quest hubs, but so much more of the game is found by just stumbling around the world uh, than going to major cities. That's that true. I did like about about Skyrim. Yeah, Sean Baker, thank you so much for your email. Um, All right, let's go to the Twitters. What's up on the Twitters? Um, we got one more email, but I'll finish that up. Yeah, well, I mean, you said everything. The Twitters. The tweets. Um, all right. Uh, of course, we have more votes for Psychonauts because y'all are intelligent young men. Um, Jet Set Radio. Yeah, um, Jet Set Radio! I, did, I only played a little bit of Jet Set Radio, but any, even looking at that for two seconds, that game was so when distinctive. Did you play that? I had a friend who had a Dreamcast. Oh, yeah, no, that game was, man. But, I mean, well, that's it's... one of the first cell shit. Going back to Okami, that's one of yeah. the, like, I, 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 my list of all-time cel-shaded games, it's Okami, the holy trinity of cel-shaded games, it's Okami, Jet, Grand, uh, Jet Set Radio, and uh, Wind Waker. Yeah. But yeah, uh, man, Jet Set Radio. I mean, that's Radio. such a smart way to introduce that concept. That was such a good aesthetic to use Who mentioned Jet Set Radio? For? Um, Nick. Nick, Nick Nick's, Nick's a smart guy. Uh, also, the music in that game was great. Well, yeah. it's also, uh, Jet Set Radio was interesting because it's another game that's very environment uh, heavy in that you're tagging walls. Yeah. And you can only get around the world. You're you're skating, but you have to find uh, lines and rails to grind to get up to yeah. more out-of-the-place uh, spots in the game. Yeah, yeah. He, he points out he likes how, discovering how the pieces of the city fit together, listening to the cartoon pirate radio, jumping over houses, etc. Yeah. Yeah, it's like it's it's not just environment, good environment, it's how you interact with the environment. And, and But the know. graphics were great. And everything. It was, it was beautiful. Like, and it's, it's Japan, too, but it's like retro-futuristic Japan. Kind yeah. of like goofy, like, yeah. It, it's very colorful and fun. So, Maxwell Motley... Yeah. Um, of course, points out Journey. Anyone who looks at Journey with their eyes will would add Journey to this list. Exactly. Um, yeah. Prince of Persia minus film tie-in. I, I presume you're just referring to the trilogy. Yeah. Um, yeah. I enjoyed the film tie-in myself. I've I never can't seen admit. that. I know there's ostrich racing. That's all I know about it. No, no, well, it, there's not in the game. It's it's just like it's like another. Oh, another not list. the film tie-in game. I thought she was talking about the, just the game, uh, the movie of the game. I'm, I'm thinking she's talking the game of the movie. I forgot there was such a thing. It's oh. pretty bad. It's, it's, well, uh, no, I love it because it's Prince George game and I don't care. You love Jake Gyllenhaal. Man, no, the thing is, is that they didn't get his likeness. The rights are his likeness. I love this game based on a movie where it's just. It's like the grossest <laughs> mush face character, most least appealing character. Starring Anonymous seen. Mook. Um, and of course she called it Bioshock, Mass Effect, and Assassin's Creed. Yeah. Anything else? Go for it, my friend. Okay, our last bit of the evening is an email from our um, uh, friend in uh, Japan, Daniel Fight. Uh, he loves video games uh, that are ones that allow for change, whether it's time travel, yeah. parallel worlds, or just sequels revisiting previous geography, as we mentioned in yeah. Fable. Man, Daniel Fight, you know what he's talking about. Any video game where the layout is altered makes me smile. Yeah. Uh, he uh, mentions Eternal Darkness. Uh, it was a story told mm. in multiple locations over hundreds of years, Whenever you as a player revisited a level scene before, there were always a few changes to be seen. That's nice. Uh, yeah, the best of these was a mansion hub level, which at first is just a hub later, but uh, later proves integral to the action parts of the story. Um, yeah. I played Eternal Darkness. I don't remember anything about it. <laughs> uh, which is not to you know besmirch the legacy of Eternal Darkness. but uh, He mentioned Singularity... Uh, you explore a deserted Soviet base, stumble into a temporal anomaly, and save a man from falling to his death. When you return, the entire facility is a little different, and a once, comprom uh, once promising scientist who died young is now the hero of the Empire. Yeah, I remember hearing that was a time... Like, you were, it was a first-person shooter where your special power was time uh, manipulation. 
Um, tell me you didn't flip out as a kid when Super Metroid began by leading you through the ruins of the first game. I wouldn't know. I used to, I played the shit out of the original Metroid back in the day, but I didn't start playing Super Metroid until a couple years ago. That was cool, though. I didn't experience that as a kid, but as an adult, that was still like, oh, very cool. But That's yeah. nice. That's a nice sort of thing. I, yeah. I feel like I would have been a game in a recent generation that did that too. Especially when uh, it's an older game revisiting an earlier game. I hope that's how Bully 2 starts. That you have oh. the bombed out shelter of Bullworth Academy. Your know, Solid 4 has the flashback to oh, Shadow yeah, Bones to... Island. That was nice. As... That was really nice. It's essentially the original game just emulated for a stage. Yeah. Um, Daniel Fight also mentions Mega Man X. This sounds awesome. I've never played Mega Man X, but I love the original Mega Man games. Uh, Mega Man X has or is it Mega Man 10? I'm never quite sure. Had stages that were altered when you complete other stages. For example, defeating Chill Penguin, doused Flame Mammoth's level with snow, extinguishing open flames. That meant this meant that in order to wait, this meant that the order you faced the bosses was more than just I need this weapon. Also, the entire opening level is like a mini tutorial on how to play. Um he also suggests that Annie you need to play Castlevania Symphony of the, uh, Symphony of the Night. Which, yeah, you're it's never, never going to play happen. it. You're never going to play it. <laughs> you guys are very sweet. And I... I've i got an Xbox Live. I'll gift you a $10 no, Xbox Live copy of it. That's fine. I don't want to play you it. Can get, you can knock a hole in a wall and get cheesecake that pops out that gives you health. Why would that compel me to it's play it? It's fucking awesome. What? There, I don't enjoy that kind of game. Okay, here's the big secret of Castlevania Secret of the Night. You're vampires. <laughs> No, you get halfway through the game and you realize that you can turn the castle upside yeah. down and then you're playing in the castle all for the second half of the game upside down and you realize, that's realize great. that the whole castle has been designed so you can play it that upside down. That is brilliant. Speaking of environment, I can, I'm almost embarrassed that I didn't mention that on my own, but that, yeah. Also, the music and graphics and sound effects and everything in that game are Every great. Every time but... we, co- we start to do one of the, like, we're starting to structure our thoughts for one of these podcasts and I looked lists of games that are considered seminal one way or the other. Every time it makes me realize how much I am not a gamer. Gaming is not for me. What are you talking about? I love video games. There are maybe, like, the smallest sliver of video games are games that I actually want to play. Well, also, you're not as old as some other people. Like, you didn't grow up playing uh, Symphony of the Night or... I don't know, you've been playing games for a long time, but, like, you're as much a gamer as anyone else. But I'm just saying... But, no, I just... I never feel more alienated when I talk to people about... Or, like, when when I'm like, oh, gaming culture, I will immerse myself in you. And I go to a gaming news site or whatever, and 95% of it I don't give a crap about. That's fine. I love video games. I just feel... Like, sometimes I feel like this is a tribe that I love and I am not a part of. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I know. But it just... It makes me sad. I just, like I look I at aspects you can go to of PAX games. and not want to hang yourself. Well, that was that's why I didn't enjoy the first time I went to PAX, Bill. Yeah, well, other than getting grabbed. Not, and... Well, that was different. But yeah. not, the first PAX was the first time that I realized I am a gamer. Well, there's so many games and so many different is... systems that you're always going to find something that you don't know what the hell that is. But you just happen gross, to be. It's the gross majority. Yeah. There's so much like what I like about games. I am very lucky that I live in a time where what I like about games that there are games being made for that to suit those needs. But I have to reach sometimes. Uh, so our first game club is going to be Castlevania: Symphony of the Night. <laughs> we gotta do. We keep on talking about we're gonna do something like that someday. We just have never done it. Anyway, so that is this week's uh, hour and a half that long was episode. Our... Fuck a duck. <laughs> episode. Two. 
two and a half hours, dear Christ, of uh, the Boy Howdy podcast. Was there a disjointed conversation about quote unquote environment in our ambiguous sense? Dude, we're talking about something that applies to all games. That's true. Yeah, it could have been a more focused idea. Like, what's the best game? What the what are the best gaming environments in the last ten years? Uh, what's next week's podcast going to be? But who knows? Who knows? We're we're going to do a Fantasia podcast sooner than later because yeah. yeah, we still have Disney stuff to do. We could still talk about like our favorite TV shows. We can. Uh, music. So, as always, friends, we're howdy at boyhowdy.org. Oh, Whoa! I'll set that out later. Um, uh, I uh, gotta say thank. Shout out to my bro whose name I've now blanked on. I need oh you to email back. Email me about oh. how much you love Saboteur. Thank oh, you. Oh, that guy. Yeah, guy. that was Larry. Man, he made my heart sing. Thank you. Man, it's always great when he... And he gets the nice emails. I get emails about how much I'm an asshole for not liking Doctor Who. And he gets the emails from people going, high five! For the most part, I approach things with an open heart and enthusiasm. I approach things things as they are. I see them with a clear eye and a heart full of fire and hatred. I approach with... uh, This is my awkward metaphor. I'm just saying Star Trek Enterprise is terrible. No, 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 I'm just saying you approach like, I love this, this is how it could be better. Yeah. And I kind of approach things more as I love it. Your lover. <laughs> we should. Be, we should anyway, yeah. uh, howdy at boyhowdy.org is our email address. Boy Howdy Podcast on the Twitters. One day we'll add, set it up so you can actually subscribe to us on iTunes in a normal way and you can find us on There's iTunes. There's not? If you go to iTunes and search for Boy Howdy Podcast, we never actually set that up. We have an RSS feed. No, we have a Boy Howdy Podcast like If thing, you click on Boy Howdy, subscribe. if you go to boyhowdy.org, you can subscribe to the RSS feed. Well, so the people listening to this, they have to really work for it. To a small degree. Wow. If you, you know, if you click that, if you go to boyhowdy.org and click the add to iTunes, it'll add it to iTunes, you cannot find us through iTunes. We'll have to fix that before our episode about our favorite pornographic parody movies. <laughs> um, that's the shit's going to go right up in oh, Thank yeah. you as always for listening, friends. I love you. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.